To be successful in any field, it requires grit, guts, and determination to push through adversity. The Go Time Podcast with Todd Martin takes you on a journey exploring the paths of champions. Here, you'll get insight to what it takes to achieve greatness as an athlete, coach, mentor, and businessman. Leadership is not given, it's earned. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me, man. <laughs> yeah, you bet. So, um, so we met a long time ago. Yeah, it's probably 2007. Was it then? Yeah, because I graduated AM in 2007, and my first job was here in San Antonio working for Neutrina and uh, was running this whole area. And we had, I just bought, let's see, we had just bought a, actually, that the mare that we brought here, we had bought at a cell at the, uh, the, was it the, the yellow rose palace, the rose palace over here. Oh yeah, there was a sale there. Yeah, and I was there with Neutrina. We began to buy buying that mare, and then we brought her here. And you worked with her for a while, and I'd come bother you, try to pick your brain, and learn how to train reining horses. And um, then 2008 happened. The stock market crashed. They started uh, laying people off at Cargill, and I was fortunate enough I didn't get laid off, but I got moved from the South Texas region where I was supposed to take over, but the guy I was going to replace. He had lost a chunk of his retirement, so he, he was delaying his retirement, so he wasn't leaving, so mm-hmm. he needed to find a fill-in spot for me. So they moved me out to East Texas, and I switched from Neutrina to Aco, which was still owned by Cargill, and so I started pushing Aco out in East Texas, and uh, me and my wife were engaged at the time, and we weren't huge fans of East Texas. Um, so then, yeah, so then we ended up leaving Cargill, moved back home to LaGrange, and started working for my dad. Dude, that's crazy, because I didn't realize it. I didn't even put that together. Did I ever tell you that I used to work for Cargill? No, I didn't know that. Maybe you told me back then. I just don't remember it, but yeah. Yeah. So when I was in college, okay, um, I uh, I worked at the uh, plant over in Aco at Aco Feeds over in uh, Seguin. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I used to I used to run the night shift, and um, and I I was uh, in bulk shipping and receiving, and then I run the bagger, and I also run the stacker, and um, and I the only the only job that I didn't do was the mixer. I did bulk shipping and receiving too, and so I run the railroad cars in and out, and and did all that. I think I did that for like three years okay. while I was in college, and I we would work. God, I worked eleven hour days. I'd work sixty hours Monday through Friday, and I was taking nine hours of school. Yeah, um, I pulled yeah. from that plant too. We would uh, so like. The deer feed that we had, like the record rack, that was both an ACO and Neutrina product. And so we pulled from, I used to go there all the time to that. Yeah. That mill, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Man, that's great. There's probably a lot of the guys that I was working there whenever I was there. It was probably the same time. Guaranteed. Because those guys, have been, they had been there forever. There was a guy named Boatwright who was there. Um, Mr. Huck. Dr. Huck was the the nutritionist there. Okay. Um, yeah, that's kind of crazy, yeah. man. Small, it's a small world. Mr. Krebs. Uh, Clayton Krebs. Yeah, Clayton. Clayton. Yeah. yeah, I knew Clayton. He had been there forever. I used to go deer hunting with him. <laughs> him and Lewis Etzel, who was our wildlife, yeah, uh, you know, our wildlife specialist. Yeah. Him and Clayton were really good buddies, and so we would go hunt down in Creso Springs at one of the the feed stores that I called on. She had a ranch, and she let us go hunt down oh. there. And uh, they they were funny. It was literally like grumpy old men. I, like, I was a twenty two year old, like embedded with grumpy old men. And, and... <laughs> what was the? Uh, there was another guy that worked right there with him all the time. Um, with with Mr. Krebs. Yeah, was... I'm trying to remember his name. What was his name? Yeah, he was a hoot. They were. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so Mr. Krebs lived. Um, man, 
by a stone throw probably 500 feet behind my parents' house. No kidding. Yeah. Did so you grow up he, in yeah, uh, Well, no, he lived over Marion. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And um, matter of fact, he still lives in the same house. He's he's back. He, yeah. he's, he lives behind my mom and dad. Um, and his daughter, uh, Courtney, and they had another one younger where it was, I can't remember what, his, what her name was, but Courtney, she, uh, I think she still lives in New Braunfels. But uh, yeah, she was like a couple years younger than me. And we all rode the school bus together. <laughs> yeah, awesome. But yeah, so that uh, so I worked there while I was going to college. That's funny, and worked for Cargill then. Um, I I actually I I learned a lot at that job. There yeah. was so much on production wise and stuff. And I was going for a, I was a production major. Oh, okay. At, uh, in the ag department at, at Southwest. So nice. yeah, that was kind of that was a long time ago. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Um, yeah, so that's kind of crazy. And then you kind of got into the riding horses and doing all that. And... Yeah. So when I was, so while I was at A&M, I worked at the A&M Horse Center and um, just kind of was the guy that fed horses and cleaned stalls. And from there, it kind of fell into, I joined a cold starting, or one of my classes was a cold starting class. And it kind of, me and another guy in there, we, uh, we started riding colts. And then, you know, we had a couple of bronchi ones and, and me and him would ride those. And it kind of actually went from that to a dare to like one of the girls who was from College Station her mom had a horse that kept bucking her off and she asked if, you know, we'd be willing to ride it. And I was like, yeah, okay. And then that kind of led in to starting Colts for, you know, friends. And then. That uh, was the first place I started Colts. At A&M? No, or, at Southwest Texas. Okay. They had uh, an animal science class. Yeah. And, um, and the lab was out at Freeman Ranch and we had to, they, they unloaded these Colts and they were off of this ranch out in like Mount round top. Yeah. And, uh, or it was in Flower Mound, somewhere yeah. around there. And they were all old, you know, like P234, King Ranch, you know, or King Horses, yeah. you know, like crazy. And, um, and they would unload them off of a big old stock trailer and they just like run them down the alleyway and whichever ended up in whatever stall was yours. Yeah. <laughs> they'd shoe them all in and they were just buck wild yearlings. And, um, and at the end of the course, you had to have, you had to load them in a trailer, pick up all four feet, lead them. You had to do all these different things. And they had never even seen a halter. I mean, never, right? They had seen an old man in a truck. That's all they'd ever seen until they got on that trailer, right? Yep. And uh, and we had to put a halt. We had to like, we had to put them in chutes to get halters on them just to get started, right? Yeah. It was crazy. And uh, I was trying to think, uh, by the end of the, that deal, we were riding ours. And I ended up buying one of the other kids' horse horses when yeah. we got done. Yeah, that was that was wild. That was the first time. That was the first time. That was my first time of being able to like actually like break a colt. Yeah, I, that was. So I had been riding forever. My grandpa always made sure we had horses. But uh, as far as actually doing it the right way, <laughs> like learning how to properly do it, that was definitely my first time. And you learned it, it a lot awesome. of things doing it the wrong way. <laughs> most things I've learned doing the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you did that, and then um, you did a foray into training horses and doing. So you actually got to. So it's cool that you told me earlier that you, that BF Yates was um, was teaching there at AM while you were playing, uh, trying to get on the uh, what was, was so, the so stock it was, horse team or it was whatever the stock horse team. So they they didn't have they hadn't started the team yet at AM. So now they have a ranch horse versatility team, but the very first year. Uh, BF Yates came in and basically they were, they were starting up the whole shot, uh, program and they, uh, took a couple of the people that had done the cold starting class and they kind of sifted through there and they picked out a few of us and we basically did a semester and it was a class. We got a grade on it, yeah. but same kind of concept. They gave us one of the Colts that had gone through the, the basic, you know, foundational class. And then we 
turned it into a stock course and we spent oh, wow. every day meeting up with him out at freeman arena there in Dude, what a great opportunity oh, it was phenomenal it was an absolute blast so was uh so was dave golden there at the same time no it was uh it was it was bf and uh um dennis uh oh man i'm gonna forget but he was he was a professor at a&m and it was the two of them that helped us oh okay He's still very big in the shot stuff, or at least last time I looked. I at think I remember who you're talking about. I can't remember what his name, last name is. The um, so that's kind of funny because Dave Golden he was doing a, a bit of stuff over there at A M and was running a, a, I guess some of that stuff. I can't remember exactly what his job was or whatever, but um, he was he was the first time I ever saw a real running horse trainer. Okay, I was working. Um, I had finished up my stint with Cargill and I was working at a feed store in New Braunfels. Okay. And, um, and they had a, they call them, it was just a first foray into Purina actually doing, um, what they called horse owner workshops. And they would have a, an equine professor, a professional come in and they would give, you know, they would give a, like an hour long, you know, demonstration. They would talk to you about training and, you know, just do that kind of stuff. And they also gave you like some really good information on like, uh, equine nutrition and how to feed and all that kind of stuff. And then it led into one of these professionals and they would, and, and this guy had a reining horse and I, I had never seen like it done like that before. And it was cool. And I was like, man, I like, that's really cool. And it's really funny because I got to actually later in my career, tell Dave that story. Right. And, yeah. and Dave is like one of the He's one of the nicest guys, right? And and he's a humble guy and whatever. But you know, I just I really genuinely love Dave. He was just one of those really neat guys. But he also he made a big big impact on me, right? And you just never you never know who you're gonna put make an impact on, right? That's absolutely true. And um and he did. He he made this really cool impact on me. And and I got to tell him like you know 15 years later, and he's not showing anymore, and I'm showing or showing a little bit or whatever. And you know, and he knows me at that that this point. You know, actually, Dave knows me. I never told him about that, right? And I sat down and told him about. It. I was like, because at that point. I was a, a, an equine uh, uh, influencer or ambassador with uh, Purina. Okay. And and I got to do that. For, I still do quite a bit, but uh, we used to do a bunch of them for, for Purina. And, uh, and and he was one of the first ones That's that awesome. Purina hired on to do that, right? Yeah. That was one of their first deals. And so I, I he saw that I was doing it. And it's like, he was like, oh, you you doing that? I was like, so this is where I learned it from was from you. And I told him the whole story. And he's like, wow. You know, it's like cool for him to see that you know i was just a kid at the feed store that yeah <laughs> and eventually now i'm you know following around and doing the same thing yeah that yeah, yeah. that's awesome you know because with me i'm i'm working i'm the head strength coach at a high school here in bernie now yeah and that's you know it's a part-time gig but i spend quite a bit of time there and that's that's what i'm kind of hoping for mm. is, you know make an influence on one of these kids so you know 10 20 however many years down the road it's like hey you remember me when we did Dude, this it's really made cool because you know that's that's it, what everyone hopes for I think that's, I think that's, so that's something that's really being lost right now. I think that's something that in our society, I, I think we are losing, at, I know that we're necessarily losing a lot of men that are not willing to do that. I think there's plenty of men that are willing to do that, but, um, but I don't think that it is revered like it once was. Right. And that there's an importance put on it and that we're trying to use these different silly words to, you know devalue and and give you know a mixed meaning of what things are yeah and um and i think there's a lot of a lot of 
I, I think men don't realize the roles that they, we take on and the responsibilities that we've been given to, and, 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 and to use the opportunities that we've had things, the experience that we've got, we've gone through because there's, well, to jump ahead a little bit, like, um, there's things where we get to run through and do things that it was at the time, you know, it was really selfish maybe, or even just, you know, wild and fun and free and all that kind of stuff. But it's revered in the men's book of, you know, like, you know, accomplishment where you're like, Oh crap, that guy's, you know, that's, that's, you're a step beyond the norm. Right. When you were saying all that, that's the word that came to my mind was selfishness. And that's, that's exactly what it is. People are so, they're so concerned about what they're going to do and where they're going to go and, and how that looks for them that they're forgetting about how they got there and how, how to make sure that we're, you know, leaving that trail of goodness behind us and making sure that the, the generations behind us can do. And respond and the responsibility that comes along with it. Exactly. Yeah, I think so too. And, and so you, <clears throat> after doing all that and running around and getting to play cowboy, you decided to go play another kind of cowboy. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> and you joined the, the air force. I did. Yeah. So, um, after we left working for ACOP in uh, Northeast Texas, went and worked for my dad, buying and sell construction equipment for a few years. And growing up, I always wanted to do the military thing and kind of go into the special operations side. And at that time, I wanted to do the Marines. That's that's what I wanted to do. And uh, MARSOC was kind of starting off and it was kind of becoming a thing. I think it started in 2006. So I was like, MARSOC's where I want to go, yeah. be a Marine and do do that. That's high speed. Yeah. And so I uh, I put in an application to go in as an officer because I, I had a degree. And, you know, that was kind of the way I could figure, you know, I, I get everyone to buy into what I was trying to do. I was like, well, I'm going to be an officer. Yeah. And uh, so I went and talked to them, did the whole package, went through the boards. And you had to go that route. You had to be an infantry officer. And I got picked up as an aviation officer. Which sounds cool, you know, go fly, but that's not what I wanted to do. Yeah, and uh, so I said, nope, not going to do that. Boy, the the Marine Corps pilots are pretty much cowboys themselves. They are, and you know, at, at that time it was just that, you know, for that selection board, they had a lot of infantry officers, and not enough aviation, and so it's just it's where it fell. Huh. And with the Marines, it's you know, it's what's best for the Marines. And yeah, so, and that's fine. I, I get it. Sure. Um, but then I had seen a show on the Discovery Channel called Surviving the Cut, and it was about pararescue. Oh. And I was like, all right, I can get down on this. I was like, that seems pretty cool. So then I started talking. Pretty high speed. Yeah. Yeah. So I started talking to the two, um, started talking to the recruiters about that and saying, hey, you know, I'd like to go in as a crow, which is a combat rescue officer, which is essentially the the officer for pararescue. And they said, well, were you ROTC? I was like, no. I was like, did you go to the Air Force Academy? I was like, no. And they're like, well, then no. <laughs> I was like, really? Um, hindsight 2020, I think it was probably the recruiter I had at the time that just didn't want oh, to really? do the work. Yeah. But he's like, you can enlist. If you enlist, I can give you a, a guaranteed contract that'll give you the opportunity to go to NDOC. And I was like, all right, screw it. Let's enlist then. And so I enlisted with a pararescue contract. Really? Um, yeah. So I went in with the pararescue contract. So you went contract. in enlisted. I did. I was enlisted. Yeah. Dude, that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, you walk in with a pay cut. Oh, <laughs> massive pay cut. I mean, at that point, did so, you consult with anybody? <laughs> Just a recruiter who had your best interest yeah, at heart. Absolutely. <laughs> they always do, you know? Well, no, like, so I was, you know, there are a lot of issues and I'm sure we'll get to this track, but you know, I was the owner of the company's kid and uh, you know, so I, I was making pretty good money and the yeah. intent, you know, my dad's intent was for me to take over the company. Right. And that's, that's what he was hoping for. So I was doing pretty good for a 25 year old yeah and uh yeah i think i think well i mean you know i, I think when i well actually it was probably better when i went through but i think i went from making i don't know maybe 70 
$75,000, making $800 a month, which is like poverty level. And, but all you could eat. But yeah, all you could eat. Yeah, exactly. But, but I mean, we, we made it work. You know, I was already married. I'd been married for four years at the time. And uh, so I was, I want to say I started the process around 25, 26. She's a good woman. Oh, you don't even know, man. Everyone always asks that. That's like, man, how did, how did you make it through, you know, being older and married? Like, I don't know how you didn't make it through not being older and married. Like, <laughs> she, uh, she definitely sacrificed for me to be there. And there was days that I would call her, like, just throwing that pity party for myself. Yeah. I would need a little sympathy. And she'd be like, no, it's like, you better get your butt back out there and suck it up. I put, I put up with too much for this. I'm like, geez, all right, lady. All right. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I went in with a pararescue contract and, um, you know, did, did basic training, did all that kind of stuff. And then, well, I guess, the, you know, so I said, I started the process at 26. It took me almost a year and a half to get the contract because you had to do what was called a pass test, which is a physical agility and stamina test. And depending on how well you did on that test, they would rack and stack you. And so when contracts came available, the top guys would get the contract. So if you weren't performing very well, then contracts could come, but they're like, ah, no, you're not one of the top performers. You're not getting a contract. Mm. And so I had been sitting behind a desk for several years. I was out of shape. So it, it took some Whoa. commitment to get back into shape and yeah. to get there. Um, and so finally I, uh, and so this kind of goes in the story, but like the swim was what was getting me. I was, that's what get everybody. It is. I mean, the water is what gets everybody. Isn't it the, what's that guy Scoggins or whatever is yeah. like, he even got him. Yeah. Oh like yeah. The man oh, that can right. run forever and you know, whatever, like wiped him out too. You know, it's, it's funny because you have water confidence and then you have the freestyle swim. So I, I was good on the water confidence. Like I, I, really? I, I was very confident in the water, but it was the freestyle swim. I, I, I literally was driving to Austin twice a week to go work with a triathlete coach, like trying to figure out how to swim. And I, I was a lifeguard growing up, but it's the, the 500 meters of constant swimming. It was just smoking me because my form was, I was like, I was like a bar. So you the splashed water. your way there. Yeah. And so I finally, uh, so you have, is it time that you had to do it? it is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You had to do it in, man, it, I could so be you off couldn't on doggy this. paddle it. You could not dog. And that was the whole thing. I was like, they try to tell you like, oh, well, you can breaststroke and stride stroke. But when you get there, like, nope, freestyle is your only option. Wow, and really? So, yeah. And so I want to say at the time it was like a 9-10 or something like that. Wow. And um, and so I got all my other stuff was good enough that it got me ranked fairly high. And then, you know, once I was able to pass the swim twice in a row, they're like, good, you're good, man. Good. Here's your contract. Go. And so I went. But then you go through like, what is it, eight weeks of basic training. And I think we swam once a week. So I just I fell. Like, yeah. It was terrible. And so then from after basic training, you go what's called the development course. And you usually start off with like, you know, from like 120, 140 dudes in the development course. And it's two weeks of basically what you would do in in-doc, but at like the crawl, walk, run. This is the crawl phase. And uh, you take the pass test there and it doesn't matter if you pass or fail it, but you have to pass it by the end of the two weeks. And so anyways, I go through, uh, we get to the end of two weeks. I pass everything I do. I pass all the water confidence, the run, the push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, all that. I'm good to go. Uh, but I failed the 500 meter swim. And so I'm like, well, that, that's not good. Yeah. And I think, I think we started off dev course, like I said, like 140 or something like that. And by the end of dev course, we were down to like maybe 60 to 80. And then after that pass test, I think usually about 40 or so go into indoc. Well, of that, you know, 40 or so that failed something at the end of development course, I was fortunate enough that like 10 of us, they kept back to give another chance and no idea like why I was chosen. I was a nobody in a group of people, Yeah. Uh, but I, they kept me back uh, to give me another chance. And essentially we went to what was called the battle program and um, they was, you would just train 
while indoc was going on. And then when the next indoc was up, you would start the development course with the new group of guys that just came from basic training. Uh, so that you basic, basic PJ training, not basic training, like no Air, basic, Force. Air Force basic training. So like that would get you out of shape because basic training in, in the Air Force is like, like PE class. And, that, and that's what happened. I, oh, I could yeah. pass the swim when I went into Air Force basic training. Oh, geez. And then I spent, you know, was it eight weeks or whatever there? And I came back and I had lost on the vacation. Past the swim. And uh, now so, I can only imagine what basic training is like now. I think it's six weeks now. It's let Sherman. They think like a just vacation. Yeah. It was harder when we went through, no question. <laughs> <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't even that hard, really. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no. It wasn't like it was, you know, I had buddies that went to other branches and it was a lot different. Yeah. 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 It's, it is different. But yeah, so they, so then I spend, you know, the nine weeks that it takes for them to go through NDOC uh, doing the battle program, which was, it was rough. Like it was pretty much all the super angry cadre from yeah. NDOC. They sent down here to watch over us because they needed a break from NDOC. So they just would torture us <laughs> all day long. We lost so many guys. So many people would just quit battle. Wow. Uh, and it was, it was a kick in the pants. No question. Well then, you know, next time comes up, we start the development course and, uh, the way, you know, the way they do the rank structure is it's, you know, your rank and then you have uh, time and maybe time and service, time and grade and mm -hmm. age. And uh, so we didn't have any NCOs coming in. So because I was already old and I had already been in, you know, a month or two longer or a couple months longer than everyone else, I was the senior ranking person. So I was put in as the team sergeant oh. of this course. And so I had already done it once. So I kind of knew what was coming. So I could kind of, you know, a little bit of heads yeah, up. I had a little yeah. bit of a heads up. Well, you know, the, I guess the cadre liked that. They liked that about me. And so we go through the development course and uh, everything's going pretty smooth. We get to that, uh, you know, the end of the development course pass test. And uh, I, you know, pass everything and I failed to swim again. Oh. Yeah. So I'm like, and you, you never like two chances. You're lucky to get the two chances. So I know like I'm done. And so you have to get, you know, you put your blues on and you go stand in this long, like embarrassing, depressing line and you wait for your chance to talk to the commandant. The loser. The <laughs> loser line. That's really what it is. You go and stand in the loser line and uh, you wait for your chance to talk to the commandant and he can tell you what terrible job you're going to get stuck in. Passing out basketballs at the gym or <laughs> exactly, something. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And so I'm sitting there waiting, I'm waiting and this, you're there for hours. I mean, there's a ton of people that, that are getting washed out. <clears throat> well, I'm the very last one they call in there and they basically are like, you know, Hey, you know, what happened? I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I'm just, I did, I did what I could. It just didn't go, it didn't go well. And, and long story short, they're like, well, we're going to give you another chance. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, like you, that was unheard of, like to get a third chance. And, uh, I was like, I gotta be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not sure I want to do this again. <laughs> and I was like, can I have, can I have the night to sleep on it? And, uh, they're like, yeah, but you need to let us know, you know, first thing. And so I go home or I go back to the dorms and, uh, I call my brother. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I want to do this again. Like this is, this has been, you know, let's say four weeks of the development course. And then, you know, another nine weeks or so of battle. It's just pure, what, do the math on that, right? Of just yeah. getting like Groundhog's Months Day, of, just yeah. getting your pants, you know, just, just getting torn apart. And, um, and I, he kind of talked me off the ledge. He's like, dude, you were the guy that told me that they're going to have to carry you off on a stretch before you would ever quit. Now you're going to quit. I'm like, <laughs> All right. Hang on. Yeah, I know. Like, Stupid alligator mouth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, well, I guess, uh, you know, I guess I'm stuck with this one now. So I go back and I'm like, all right, let's do it. And, you know, I, obviously I didn't say it like that, but I was like, yeah, who y'all? Sorry. I'd like yeah. to, I'd like to continue yeah. training. <laughs> yeah. 
And they're like, all right. So then I have to go back into battle for another nine weeks oh, of just getting the crap kicked out of me. And we had this, uh, our swim coach was this old crusty guy. And he, hopefully he's not listening to this. <laughs> but uh, I mean, his mentality was you just need to swim more. So we would have a two hour pool session every morning. Like we would get up and at like 5 a.m. We were catching the bus to go across because we were on, uh, you know, the little, it was called the Medina Annex at the time, which is across uh, 410 from yeah. where Lackland is. And so we would take a bus over to the Lackland side and we go to the, to the Skylark pool and uh, do like two hour swim sessions there just getting crushed. Well, then he, he decided I needed more swim time. So during lunch, I'd have to come back and go to the little Medina base pool, meet him there. And he put me through another swim session, just destroyed me, just absolutely destroyed me. Like I was, I was just, just, Oh, and what I know now is essentially overtrained. And, oh. and I'm not trying to knock on him. Like not he was trying to help me. I just physically, I wasn't, yeah. I, I couldn't manage that. Um, so anyways, we, we get through that nine week, we start the, my third development. That's course. dangerous too. Like it can cause you to shut your part of your body down. Oh yeah. We had, we had guys, um, uh, that, you know, had right, that got rhabdo and actually would get thrown in. Actually one of my really good friends, uh, got rhabdo and was stuck in the hospital for a while. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it was tough. And anyway, so we go and we start the, uh, my third development course. Yeah. Love it. And so we go through that and same thing, you know, like I, you know, this is my third time through. This time they're looking at you like, are you an instructor? Or yes. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> like, just ask Verno what to do. He knows. Like, um, and so I'm, I'm going through and, you know, doing fine. Like, I mean, for lack of a better word, I feel like I would, I could, I feel like this one, I could say I'm crushing the development course, right? Except yeah. for the freestyle swim stuff, but everything else, you know, I knew what was coming. I knew how to, I knew how to anticipate it. And I could kind of give my team a heads up to where it would save us a lot of pain because uh, we did the right thing. Yeah, we yeah. had a timeline, one that mattered or something like that. And uh, so we get to the we get to the final test at the end, and we go through the whole process again. And I failed to swim again. Oh! And I when I say when I say I failed it, I I didn't just fail it. I I bombed it. Like I mean, I missed it by like two minutes. It was bad. Crap. Yeah, it was real bad. So what? So was it physical or was it mental, dude? So at the time, I would have told you physical. Um, now I'm going to tell you it was primarily mental, but now kind of going through all my strength stuff, I think there was a little bit of like overtrained syndrome type stuff going yeah. on there, overtraining syndrome. Um, but it led to the it, mental it, part too. I'm but, sure. I mean, honestly, it was the groundhog's day and the fear of failure for me, yeah. for me, for the longest time, my driving factor was fear of failure. Um, we kind of touched about it outside and I'm sure we'll get more into it, but you know, that kid who is never, you know, I grew up in a small town you know, big fish, little pond kind of mentality. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was fairly athletic. We were state championship football team, like had, had a good supportive parents, you know, played a lot of sports um, and I was fairly successful. And so I was just used to more than likely, you know, it's, it's going to turn out positive for me. Well, this is the first time that there was no safety net and the, it, it could not turn out positive. And I remember I used to get so upset because in this whole process, I'd call back home and I talked to friends or family like, Oh Matt, you're going to be fine. You always figure it out. I'm like, no, no, you know, statistically, like 80 to 90% of these people wash out, like more than likely I'm not going to be fine. So stop saying that, please. But, uh, hmm. so yeah, I, I would definitely say I, I had psyched myself out at that point. It was absolutely mental. Uh, you know, like I said, with a little bit of that physical stuff in there too. But, uh, so then I get back into the loser line of shame. Right. And, uh, I'm once again, the very last person they call in there and, and I'll never forget the commandant at the time, uh, for whatever reason, he liked me, but he was like a, he didn't talk much. And, um, I get back in there and he's, he's pissed. Like he, you know, he, he put, he put his, kind of yeah, he stuck his neck give, out on yeah, me exactly, too. to give me another chance. And I, I bombed it. 
and uh, he's he's pretty upset with me. And he basically says, you know, like, what do you what do you want? Like, why are you here? And I gave like the corniest answer, like, I just want to be an op an operator sergeant. <laughs> and I mean, he's like, you gotta, you gotta be kidding me. And uh, so at that time, so it used to be pararescue and combat control. They did indoc together, and so for the longest time, they did indoc together. And there was like a, uh, I don't know, maybe a ten year or so, maybe a little longer than that split where they they broke off and uh, PJs did indoc and controllers did their own selection course. But now it's actually back together again. They do it together. Um, but I went, I came through the time when it was split off. And he said, well, would you would you want to be a controller because they get they get forty five seconds extra on the swim. Well, at this point, I'm I'm failing by more than 45 seconds. So technically, I can't even make that swim. But I'm like, you know, absolutely. Like, if, if they'll give me a shot, I'll I'll be a controller if I get more time on the swim. He's like, well, let me make a phone call. So he calls the commandant for the selection course for combat control and says, you know, hey, he's, he's a good kid. He just sucks at swimming. He's like, are you willing to give him a shot? He's like, yeah, I'll give him a shot. So I switched to combat control. But they they screw up my paperwork in that process, and, and so I have to basically sit with what they call the SOTs, like the students out of training. So it's typically like the kids who either quit or or failed out and are waiting to go to their new job, and you're basically like the cleaning crew. Yeah. So I didn't get to really work out very much, and uh, I just kind of sat there and cleaned all day. But kind of going back to that physical stuff, it was actually good because I let my body recover. No, it probably did really help a lot. Yeah, it did. So when I started selection with the uh, controller side, you probably just went and crushed it like crazy. I did. And so my swim actually was fast enough that I would have made it uh, through pararescue. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, uh, I wonder if they called over and told the commandant that. Man, you know what, though? <laughs> you know, I, I believe God works in mysterious ways. Oh, yeah, ways. he does. And because um, I still kept in touch with all my PJ friends. And, and we still, we worked together. I ran into a lot of those guys deployed. Yeah. And um, I was, I was built to be a controller. I, I wasn't meant to be a, a PJ. And so it was the best thing that could have happened to me that I went the combat control route. And so for those, for so there's a lot of folks that I, I actually, I don't know how I just know that, know what that is. Yeah. I guess, well, so when I went in, I went in as a, uh, as a weatherman in the Air Force and, um, and there's a combat weather, is it, which, so you actually are a forward weather observer and, and you go through all the combat training. I didn't get to do that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to do that. Um, but I was, I was kind of dumb, dumb and young and stupid and did some dumb things. Yeah. And, um, but the couple of the guys that were in, went to weather school, um, with me, they actually washed out of the PJs and they were going through weather school to go para weather or yeah, to go para weather later. So it's called South T. So special operations weather team. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah. So the South T's. So, um, so now all three of them, so it's actually South T's aren't a thing anymore. They switched. Oh, really? Yeah. They switched to a few years ago and now they're called special reconnaissance and they've kind of switched their mission from weather to more of like the surveillance reconnaissance side. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Too. No, it, it's, it's got potential to be really, really cool. So, yeah. Like surveillance would be really cool. Yeah. It was always kind of funny because when that, that pararescue combat control split happened, the Southies came with us. So when I went through combat, we call it combat control selection. Right. But it was combat control and South T. So like I went through selection with guys that were going through the South T pipeline as well. Most of the guys who were South T, they chose South T because at that time, South T didn't have to go to dive school. So they didn't have to do the water stuff. Oh, really? But jokes on them because they were forced to do all the water stuff with us. 
all through the pipeline. Every single underwater I did, they had to do. But once we graduated and made it to like the, the final you know portion and we went to dive school, yeah. they just didn't get to go to dive school, get their dive bubble. So they had to, they had to live through the <laughs> suck. All the suck of it and never didn't got get to anything get the bubble. Oh. Yeah. So, and actually one of my South Team buddies, um, he failed because you had to do the, what they called the AFSOC. And it was like our PT test. And it was a 1500 meter fin. And once again, the South Tees didn't have to do water stuff, but they still had to do the fin because it was it was the AFSOC. If you fell under AFSOC, Air Force Special Operations Command, as a ground person, that was your PT test. Well, he failed the fin as a Salty and got washed back and had to start the school all over again. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's like, I'm not even going to go to dive school. I'm like, sorry. Like, do it again. Yeah. But Oh, wow. Oh, that's crazy, man. There was a, uh, there was a guy that I went to high school with that went um, – I want to get him on here. I'd love to visit with him about some of the stuff, but he went in right out of high school. He was, I think he was two years younger than me. His name is Richard Reyes. Yeah. And he went PJ. Okay. He went in Marine Corps. He spent so many years in Marine Corps and then switched over the Air Force and then went PJ Mm -hmm. um, through the Air Force. And I think he still works over there and does some of that stuff. Do you know where he's at? I think he's in San Antonio. Yeah, I could probably find him for you. Yeah, if I know I got his number. Oh, you got? Okay, yeah, I'm trying say. to get him on. He, okay. he won't come on. <laughs> nice jerk. Yeah. Um, no, I want to have him on. I think he's a pretty cool dude. Yeah. Um, well, so I think, I think you were asking like, what's the difference between the career fields? Is that what you were? Yeah. At? Uh, no. Well, oh. I, so I I so I knew what combat controllers. So, um, but for the ones that don't know what that is, so what? So you go through all of the same things. So clarify, PJ is a pararescue. Yes. In the Air Force. And um, I think, which I think is really kind of a cool deal because those guys are actually go in to save lives. Yeah. One of the few that actually go in and that is their MO is to go save lives, to rescue downed uh, pilots and, um, and, and uh, what is it? Any, anybody else's hostages or whatever else, hostage rescue and all that kind of stuff. And they, they come in from every direction too. And they're pretty, they're high speed dudes. Oh Yeah. And then, um, and then you have combat controller, which is your, you go through all of that and you are trained as an air traffic controller. So you're controlling, uh, you, you explain it. (laughs) Well, so, so combat control actually gets its origination from back in world war two, like the old pathfinders. And so like, think like during D-Day, uh, whenever all of the airborne guys were coming in back then, you know, you didn't have the technology that we have now. So they actually sent these guys in and they would light barrels on fire. And that was kind of the path that the aircraft would follow is like these burning barrels. That was essentially kind of like wow. the line they would fly. And so it was, it was the pathfinders that went in and did a lot of that kind of stuff. Well, that was before the air force, right? Then the air force kind of split off from the army. Right. And uh, they still have pathfinder school and all that at the, in the army, but that was kind of the origination. Well, then the, the big mission for combat control was airfield seizures. And so what our job was, is we would attach on to like a ranger team, the rangers or, or whoever. And if we were trying to do an airfield seizure, we would jump in with them. We would basically, you'd have your assault team and then your, your air crew team, your airfield team. You jump in and you basically set up the airfield. Sorry. And you set up the airfield and, um, and it basically allows you to, to land that aircraft. So then the non-jump qualified infantry can come off. Uh-huh. So I think like Panama and, uh, some of those, right. some of those like, you know, Grenada, I think those are all some, some stuff that some of our guys were on. I know they were on. Um, so that was, that was like the origination of it. So a big part of what we did was airfield seizures. And that's what, when we were going through like combat control school, that's what we did was airfield seizures. Um, but in like the war on terrorism, it, 
the big thing that combat controllers got known for was being a JTAC, which was like calling in, calling in airstrikes. Right. And uh, that when I think when people think of combat controllers, that's what they think of now in, in this day and age. Um, but that's actually a secondary duty. Like you don't learn to be a JTAC in the pipeline. Once you graduate the pipeline and get put on your first team, they kind of, they'll pick certain guys to go that track. And, and you can either be what's called on like a global access team, which is more of the, uh, the airfield seizure, airfield survey. And, and they do more than seizures now. Now they do like surveys and stuff, which can actually get really cool because it gets you into that kind of like global access hmm. type scenario, which can has some really cool opportunities, some really cool things. Um, and then you have the strike teams that uh that go more of that jtac route and so I, I was on a strike team and that's what i did i was a jtac but what we would do is we were essentially we call them enablers and so the air force doesn't have direct action teams so right. what we would do is we would get uh, attached on to either a green beret team or a, a seal team and uh and we acted as the air to ground liaison so when you think of like socom every every branch has their own contribution to socom and right. the big part of the air force contribution is aircraft right um and then there's us which is like a little known you know ground force that they contribute but we get attached uh onto those direct action teams and we'll 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 roll with them but you know my job was anything that had to do with air so like on the team that i was on i was responsible we did a lot of like uh halves which is like helicopter infills infills and yeah. so I was responsible for setting up, uh, you know, HLZs, like where the helicopter landing zones, like where we'd land at. So I, I was responsible for basically infill, exfill. Um, I could have aircraft above me and I could use their sensors to basically scan. So if we're coming in on a helicopter and we're going to touch down in this, you know, prep village, yeah. I could have an aircraft flying really high in the sky where no one, you know, they couldn't hear it. It was outside of noise and they could have sensors looking down onto the HLZ where we were fixing to land and they could talk to me through my earpiece and I could like, we would do what we call a cherry ice call. So essentially if, if there was guys in that area, we'd be landing in a hot HLZ. We knew that ahead of time, 20 minutes out, or if it was an ice call, you know, it was, it was a clean HLZ and we could go in there and Guys, there's, um, there's, I can think of several instances where that would have been kind of a hairy, yeah, yeah. hairy deal. Yeah. And so it was, it was just a huge, it, you know, it was essentially we were forced. Crap ton of responsibility oh, along with not just being there and kind of covering your own butt, but man, you're, you had a lot of guys on. Absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. It, you had a lot underneath you and then, or a lot, you had a lot of responsibility. And then when you, when you land, it was a great thing because we still had those aircraft above us. And it was really cool because on the on the soft side, on the special operations side, I would have my own, like it's called a ROS, but essentially I'd have my own airspace around me. So I owned all the aircraft above me, which was kind of- it That's kind of cool. It, yeah, it was unique to us. Yeah. I didn't have to, I didn't have to radio up to some hire to ask permission to ask this aircraft to do something. He was my aircraft. He reported into me. And, um, you know, I could use their sensors to scan ahead of us. So if we just landed and we're maneuvering through this village, I, and I could have them look around corners or like, you know, tell me what the best route to take was to get from point A to point B. Oh. And, um, and so that was a big part of that. That was what you spent most of your time doing. But then, you know, once you got troops in contact, then any of our armed aircraft, I could use that and I could basically call in airstrikes. Uh, so if we were, you know, getting ambushed or if we were just in a fight, you know, we, we could figure out where we were getting shot from and then i would do talk-ons and basically call it what's called a nine line and basically pass the information to that aircraft who wouldn't which then you know we would correlate on that same target and he could then drop a wow. bomb or use guns you know depending on the aircraft what it was yeah. but uh yeah it was it was, a, it was an awesome job i absolutely that a, sound like a really cool one yeah really cool one and and <clears throat> yeah that would be really cool and so um so now so why didn't you, I mean, so at that level, then you, did you ever consider coming out and just being an air traffic controller? You know, 
Nah, they, they get they get paid a lot, so I thought about that for about yeah. half a second. Yeah, but um, once again, so I did very little airfield management. You know, most of what yeah. I did was like austere, like just working with aircraft above me. And so some of our guys, they'll go get raided like in a tower into where they can actually work at an airport. But I, I did very little of that. Yeah. Um, I guess I could have gone and gone that route, but um. I'm once again, like sitting behind a desk, just that didn't really, yeah. that wasn't for me. Yeah. So. I have a really good friend of mine that, uh, that, uh, ATC in, um, at, over at Randolph. Actually, I went to high school with. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah they, they do very well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Cootie, he's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. He went in like right after, right after, right, right after I went in. And, and he's been doing it for like a long time. Yeah. When he's, did you go in? Uh, so I graduated in 1988. Okay. And I think I went in, I went in, Right before Christmas of 1988. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's right about because I, I bounced around for a little bit until I until I joined and yeah and went in. Yeah, yeah. So there were several guys that I went to high school with that we all kind of you know I guess we grew up just right down the road from Randolph Air Force Base. So yeah. you know like we all you know saw the people there Randolph and military was well you know San Antonio is such a military town it was just you know like you see it everywhere and so it's kind of something that we all kind of all thought we would do kind of deal. It wasn't. Wasn't something we like. Um, I think the first time that I went to, uh, I got stationed in and Rantoul, Illinois. Oh wow! And uh, to do tech school, and uh, I remember going into town and going to the mall and uh, people not liking me. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I went to the mall and somebody had said something to me like, you know, like I was just, you know, it was unfair that I get a GIB like something dumb right yeah. I just like it done another dumb kid working at the mall or whatever yeah. like you know is it like some big impact on me or whatever but <laughs> but it was weird that I just I would have never thought of it like growing up in San Antonio like nobody thought yeah. anything less of I mean you thought more of guys in the military Absolutely. I mean I went to like we were such a small town and we saw so many military guys you know that <laughs> So the guy that helped me get my job and when I went into basic training, uh, I, I went in unguaranteed. Okay. Whatever job. Rolling right? the dice. And, um, but I was told to do that by a friend of ours that um, <laughs> my dad goes, you, so you want to go in the military? You got to go talk to AJ. He works at the, uh, he's a, he uh, runs the bar at the bowling alley. Oh, that's the sounds like the exact guy you should go talk to. <laughs> like AJ, a, so you want to talk to AJ? Yeah, go tell AJ. So I told AJ what I wanted to do, and AJ goes, "Okay, well, whenever you get, there's going to be a part in basic training where they're going to ask you to fill out a dream sheet, tell them what you want to do." Says they're going to call you out, tell them what you want to do. I'm like, "What does that mean?" And he's like, "Just tell them what you want to do." I'm like, "All right, whatever <laughs> that means," you know. Yeah. So he goes, just join up, whatever. And then whenever you go in there, just tell him what you want to do. Yeah. So I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do. Right. I'm like, so I'll just tell him, <laughs> tell him what I want to do. Right. Yeah. And they call me out. Sure enough, man, I'm in line and they go like, you know, Aaron Martin, like, run out there. And he's like, go over and whatever desk and talk to this girl. I'm like, what? Just do it. I'm like, okay. So yeah. I go over there and I look at this girl. She goes, uh, here's your book of, you know, all the jobs, pick which one you want. And I'm like, Really? So pick this, <laughs> what, pick the three? She's like, no, pick the one you want. Yeah. And I'm like, so I just pick the one I want? <laughs> she says, yeah, pick the one you want. She goes, what is your, what are your, your dad a colonel or something or what is it? And I'm like, well, my dad, 
my dad's just a computer repairman. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about. She goes, um, well, how do you, you know, you don't get this unless, you know, you know somebody. Who do you know? And I was like, I know AJ from the bowling alley. <laughs> you know she AJ goes, from the bowling alley? She goes, who? And I said, yeah, seriously, I know AJ from the bowling alley. I'm like, I'm so, sorry. I don't, I don't even know who he is. Yeah. Just that he's, you know, serves beer at the bowling alley. <laughs> and he's a... Retired master chief. No, nice. <laughs> or not chief master sorry. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, holy. She's and so find out later on that oh well, AJ had could pull a few strings for me. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, and I went in. I joined as a weatherman mm-hmm. because I wanted to go. I saw the part about para weather, and I was, so I went to tech school in uh, Rantoul, and then went and got a duty station in Lubbock, and then. The budget cuts and whatever else, yeah. and I never got to do it. And yeah. They wouldn't let massage like that. Yeah, went home. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so you, so you, you did that for quite a few years. Yeah, I did that. Uh, so nine years active, and then my last year, I was with the guard, uh, the Kentucky guard. Kentucky guard. Kentucky guard. Yeah. So there's only two guard stations for special tactics. That's what they their force calls it. Oh, really? Yeah. So you had Kentucky and you had Oregon. And uh, Kentucky was willing to let me live in Texas and fly back and forth. And so I did that for uh-huh. a year. Yeah, did that for a year. So I just cleaned my cage out like two weekends ago, actually. Really? So I think at the end of this month, I'll officially be a full-fledged civilian. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. That is kind of crazy. Um, so so who did you use? Who Did you have like a group that you were kind of assigned to to, to run and, and support? Yeah, so... Well, so when you graduate, so you have like the full pipeline, which can take anywhere from year and a half to two and a half years, right? So you go through selection. Once you graduate selection, then you go to ATC, uh, Air Traffic Control School, which mm-hmm. is in Biloxi, Mississippi. And uh, that's that's an interesting one that you have a lot of guys that kind of wash out in that time too, because it's um, you go through like a two-hour PT session, at least at my time. You went through like a two-hour just grueling PT session, then you have to go sit in class the rest of the day. Oh, I'd fall asleep. It's exactly what happened. And to make it worse, they had like one of, they call them like a roach coach or something. It was the guy that would drive with the truck and like sell the massive like sausage biscuits. Big you know, taco or something exactly, crazy yeah. and make you pass oh, out. I just want to go right to sleep. It's like, it's like they planned. It's like the instructors had that guy showing up. Oh. But yeah, so that was, that was fun. Uh, so then you graduate ATC. From ATC, you go to basic airborne school. Then you go to SEER. After SEER, you go to Combat Control School, which is in North Carolina, uh, up in like Pope Bragg area. You spend three months there. And then when you graduate there, you be, you get your beret and you're a three-level combat controller. Well, then you move to Hurlburt uh, in Fort Wallen Beach, Florida, Hurlburt near the base in Fort Wallen mm-hmm. Beach, Florida. And you go through uh, the Special Tactics Training Squadron, which is like the true buildup. Like that's what's getting you ready to deploy. And so that's where you do dive school. That's where you do free fall school. Uh, ATVs, dirt bikes, convoys, uh, heavy weapons, CQB, like all, all the things that you've been dreaming about yeah. for the last two years. This Finally. is where you go do it. Yeah. yeah. And then, so you graduate there and then they shift you off to the teams. And so I went to the 22nd, which was in uh, Tacoma, Washington. And so that was the, that was my first team. And that's where I spent uh, most of my time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So the, so that was, you were support like, so you support SEAL team or would you support a, yeah. Okay. So I'm tracking now. So you, so we had, when I was there, you had two strike teams and you had two global access teams. Oh yeah. Right? And, and the, uh, one team would go to Afghanistan and the other team would go to Iraq. 
And I was on the team that had Afghanistan, which meant that I was going to support the Green Berets. The guys mm, who cool. went to Iraq were with the SEAL teams. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, I was with, uh, I, so I supported 10 Special Forces Group out of Colorado. Oh, okay. And, and dude, love those guys. Like they are, I still talk to them. Yeah. One, at least one of them every week. Like they are the, the best, best dudes ever. I absolutely love those guys. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, quite a few of those guys around this area. Yeah. 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 There's a lot, there's a lot of. There's a lot of, well, there's a, I want to say there's a guard, there's a SF guard group somewhere in this. Somewhere. Oh, really? Yeah. Cause the team that we were ripping out was a guard special forces team. And, and they, uh, they were from, uh, there's at least a few of them from San Antonio, but, wow. but yeah, I, I was very, very fortunate. The, the, uh, the team that I was on zero two one three, uh, they, they brought me in and I was, I was a team member. Like there was, there was no question about it. Yeah. Like I was, you know, cause you know, we had, we had other support guys or, you know, other enablers. Like we had a dog handler. We had, uh, we had some EOD guys. Um, we had, uh, another guy that his kind of specialty was communications, like as far as like cell phone type communication type oh, stuff. Yeah. And, you know, they, they were not on the same, the same like brother level. And right. I, I never once felt like an outcast with them. Like I was, I was 100% a part of the team. I'll never forget you know, our team sergeant, he was one of the greatest leaders I've ever worked for. And something happened. I don't even remember what it was, but he came in and he was like, if you don't wear a green beret, get the hell out of this room. And I'm like, oh, and so I stood up like, sit down. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a great experience. Huh. That's cool. Um, so fast forward now to what you are. So this is really cool. Um, now, you well, the funny part was that you gave me a call before you came back to this area. Yeah, I was still like and looking you, for a job. <laughs> yeah, and then, um, and then what was really funny was that I knew you were coming back and I knew you were going to be in the area or whatever else. And then, um, <laughs> I go to morning jujitsu class <laughs> and, and and didn't recognize or whatever. And you're like, I'm like, hey, my name's Todd. <laughs> well, honestly, I didn't recognize you either. I I remember when I, I called you. Older. Yeah. A lot more gray. The mustache too. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw it and I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but whatever. And so then we started rolling together and you were helping me. And you said, you introduced yourself as Todd. And I was like, you know what? When I called you that weekend, I was here. You said that you had gotten into jiu-jitsu for a while. And I told you I wanted to. And I had gone and done a couple classes at the one place here. And you're like, no, you need to go check out this other place. And so I did. And that's where I ended up joining. Yeah. And I was like, I had kind of in the back of my mind wondered if I ever run into you, but I never did. I'm like, well, maybe, you know, maybe it was a phase he's not doing anymore. And then started going to the morning classes and there you were yeah and when you I'm, said todd I was like yeah i know who this I'm is stuck on doing this yeah. I, I i i like it way too much yeah yeah i've 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 been lingering around bouncing back and forth i'm the, the, the fuel prices and everything i started coming up here to hebas and and rolling over there instead of over in town so yeah. i've been back and forth a little bit over there but um but yeah i'm I'm a lifer. I'm going to be doing that for quite a while. That's my plan too. I've kind of fallen off. It's going back to school right now. It's, it's, you know, when I get heavy tests, I don't go. Yeah. So I've, I've definitely fallen off the last few weeks, but I need to get back into it. So you, now you're testing for a whole new phase in, yeah. in your deal. Well, so when I, when we made the decision to get out and kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier about men and, you know, wanting to go chase their dreams and forgetting about the people, you know, the people behind them. Right. Um, you know, when I was on team, it was amazing. Like I had the, I had an absolute blast. Um, but you know, we showed up when I showed up and I graduated from Florida and I showed up in Tacoma, my wife was nine months pregnant with our first. And so she had him and then she had, we had a second, we got our daughter, uh, you know, like a year and a half later. And my daughter was like six weeks old when I deployed. And so like my wife essentially was trapped 
in Tacoma where it rains every day with yeah. two infants and I was out deployed or even when I was back home, you know, it was pretty standard two weeks out of every month we were gone. And when I say gone, like I was, you know, gone. going on jump trips or dive trips in Florida. And I was, you know, I was doing fun things. Like I was going on like every tr- dude's dream type. Yeah. Trip. You like, didn't want to tell her what you no, were doing. No, and, oh dude. It's she terrible. Knows, you she just don't it. know. She does it now, but like there'd be trips where like, Hey, we're, uh, I don't know, you name it. Like we're going, we're going to this place to go learn how to drive dirt bikes in the mountains. Who wants to go? I'm like, Ooh, me, 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 me. Go I'm like, Hey babe, I don't have a choice. They're making me go. But, but you know, and we're going diving off the beach of what am I? Oh yeah. It's terrible. You're not going to believe it. Bad food. And yeah, so you don't, you don't know my life. Cold and wet. And, but liar. <laughs> I mean, it's really what it was. Like, I mean, yeah. we, our trips, I mean, we don't get me wrong. We worked, but they, but they were fun. Like you oh. wanted to do that work, yeah. you know? Like we had, uh, well, just, I don't know. We go, go to Key West to do jump trips. You do jump out of a plane to land in the water to go, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, I think that's something that, um, that young men need to see and hear from guys who've gone and done. Right. And it's, and it's, it's, it's different for each deal. Like, so, you know, that sounds like really, really cool and everything. And it's the same thing as, you know, like driving a big horse trailer and a big truck and, you know, getting to go to the horse shows and you're spending all your time like you're, 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 you're cool. And it is cool. I mean, God, it's, it's so much fun. And it, it, there's a, there's such a joy and a fun of, you know, it sounds to somebody who's not into it, it may not sound like fun, but getting up at two o'clock in the morning and going out and riding your horse and you're, you know, and you're working on the next colt, this for your next futurity horse and you're riding with your buddies in the middle of the night and you're laughing and joking and then it's, and, you know, and it's late and it's tiresome and you've been putting in 16 hour days and you're, but it, God, it's what you want to be doing, Absolutely. right? And it's, it's your passion. It, it is your passion and you find that passion and you and and you find the joy in that passion, right? And you get to live it, and and I think some guys end up on the outside of it. You're done, right? You and then you lose your identity, and and you and you don't find your worth. And I think it's really important for guys to realize that you still have that, and you still have a value in that. That that value is passing it on to the next generation. Like that, you can teach, and you have so much to lend to it that it's not where it ends, right? But it's actually where the next stage begins, and you can actually be of great value to somebody else. And a lot of other young men and women that in this next generation are not getting it. Exactly right. They don't get it. Everything is just you know. Well, that doesn't correlate. I'm I'm a I'm a like these crazy keyboard warriors where you're going, you know, like, yeah, you can be a, a, a bad A doing this and that, but you're doing it on the internet. It's not the same thing. Yeah. Like, you know, pu- put your computer down and put your phone down and let's go work. Yep. And there's huge reward and joy in that work, but you gotta, it's, it, there's some, there's some suck in it too. Absolutely. But God, it, the reward is so cool. It, and, you know, and so we, we came back when I got back from that deployment, my wife basically said, you know, Hey, I need a break. You know, we need to figure something out. You know, I need you home more. You know, I had my son who he was like my little buddy, right? Yeah. Every, he just was attached and, you know, one day and he was too young to understand what's happening. So one day he goes to bed next day, he doesn't see daddy for six months. And he like, did not like we would FaceTime when we had opportunities and he wouldn't talk to me. Like he was upset with me. Oof. And, uh, you know, my daughter, when I got home, she didn't even know who I was. She was only a few weeks old when I left. And so, I ended up putting in for an instructor slot. And so then I moved to Florida and was an instructor at the schoolhouse, you know, where you got to do all the cool stuff before you went to team. Right. And, uh, but you're absolutely right. Like I loved doing what I was doing, but it, it, it was, it was selfish, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it was, 
it was absolutely selfish. And you know, the divorce rate in those career fields is extremely high yeah. because you you forget, you get sucked in. And, and I'm not pointing fingers because I was I was right there. Had I told my wife, no, we're not going to take a break. This is my job. This is what we're going to do. I'd probably be one of those statistics. Mm-hmm. But um, and that's a big thing for like same thing with the horse trainer too. You know, I mean, like you know, you 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 know. You're running and it's, it, it is, it's such a selfish deal. And you have like a great woman who's standing behind you and supporting you and doing it, but you're being, you know, it's a balance. I mean, it it's really got to be a balance and you've really got to come to an understanding on that or you can really easily lose track of it. A hundred percent. And, and it, it's just like anything else. It could be, you could be a business owner, any, whatever you find yeah. your passion and, and you, you drive to that passion. And that's the world we live in says you have to give your all and you have to drive into that passion and sacrifice everything to, to hit your goals. And that's your identity. And that's your identity. But yeah. like, my question to you is, is like, well, okay, those are your goals, but what are your priorities? Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that was the eye opener to me that my wife did a phenomenal job in like helping me realize is like, yes, my goals um, you know, there's a whole nother level. Like, you know, what, what I was would be considered like tier two. There was a whole nother level that yeah. you, know, you hear about when you talk about like, you know, SEAL team six or, you know, yeah, that's Delta. a whole different well, group. The Air Force has a level of that too. And that's what I wanted. Like that was my goal from the, the get go was to get up to that next level. But you know, there's, there's sacrifices that, 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 that takes. And, uh, I had to come to the realization that my priorities, which truly was, you know, my family didn't quite line up with what my goals for myself were. And, and I wasn't willing to sacrifice those priorities for the goals. And, and, and it was the best thing I could have done. And what mm-hmm. I learned was going back to that schoolhouse and teaching the next generation is what we were just talking about, the satisfaction in giving back to the community. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it, it hit a part for me where I, um, who I said I was, wasn't looking what I, what I said I was. Exactly. You know, like I, who I, you know, who I, you know, I, yeah, I'm a horse trainer or whatever that comes along with that. But, um, who I said I was as a, as a man wasn't quite lining up with, you know, what, what, with what my wife was thinking I was right. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't looking the same like to her and that's been a big transition for me. That really has been. And I, and I see my, you know, um, I, I want to see my, I want my kids to see me as, as who I say I am too. Yes. I, and they, they just, they, it's such a hard thing for them to see me as a walking contradiction. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh man, They're like, to, so what am I going to turn my son into? That, you just nailed it. And then that's, yeah. that's what it was for me too, man, is who I, who I valued myself as, as a man, as, as a godly man and who I was becoming they didn't they didn't line up yeah. and those little lies it's hard right those, it's so hard yeah and those little lies and you see them walking around watching. and then they're imitating you and you're like oh geez louise yeah. yeah i watched my little boy walk around and spit all over the place and i was like oh my god and like I'm, that's that's how he sees me it's just yeah. this walking tobacco can yeah yeah but you know guy that you know i don't know so um yeah and so that's gonna either you're gonna do you're gonna react one or two ways Right. And, um, and in comes the part of sports psychology. Yeah. Well, so there's actually, there's one more step too before that. Cause I, yeah. I, when we decide we're going to get out of the military, I'm looking for a job. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. So I, I actually start going the firefighter route and then, uh, got, I was potentially or not potentially, but I was hired on by Pensacola fire and, uh, the starting pay was like 31,000 a year or something <laughs> like that. Like, well, that ain't going to work. <laughs> So that's when I started looking and I called um, an old selection cadre of mine who runs 
a program down here where they hire uh, strength coaches or prior operators to come in and act as strength coach slash mentors for the the new group of guys. So that battle program that I was in, like yeah. in between, so it's still there, but it's it's called something different now. And instead of having the angry instructors, yeah. they hire contractors who are prior operators to come down, and we're the ones that work with the guys, either preparing for selection or maybe who graduated selection and preparing to go to dive school or whatever the next follow on school is. And so when I called you that week, I was actually in town as like an intern, like kind of trying it out with them, seeing if, you know, maybe I could get a full-time job once I got out. And that's actually where I went. So I was, it's called a wing developer and I was working or, and I still technically, I work for them part-time now still, but it's a wing developer at the selection course. And that's exactly what we do. We, we help run the strength and conditioning, but then we also mentor them. And so at the end of the day, we usually sit down and do mentor sessions and we talk to them about, you know, life in the, uh, pipeline what to expect when you're on team like how to how to find that balance that we were just talking about mm. and i was like this i love this like i love the strength and conditioning side but like what i was really in it realizing is is how they correlate how you can use physical fitness and strength to talk about mental strength and mis uh, mental fitness Ooh. and it was phenomenal hold that real quick yeah i usually do try and do a little bit of backup i did my first uh interview with uh I got uh, Dale Comstock on. Oh, yeah. And um, God, he's a freaking hoot, man. Um, I had so much fun talking to him. And we had our first interview, and it was three hours. Like, oh, we talked so freaking long, and it was just so much fun and whatever else, and it didn't freaking record. Not a oh. damn thing recorded, right? And I had to grovel to go back. I mean, like, I didn't guess I didn't have to, but I did. Yeah. I was like, dude, you know... I'm so freaking sorry. And, but, you know, like, I think the thing that I really wanted about his deal was he was a guy who um, I wanted him to explain to me what it was meant to be an American. Okay. Right. And, and because you don't go and do, I think you go in with a different mindset going into something like PJs mm -hmm. where, you know, you're a rescuer. I mean, like, and that's, that's a, like, I mean, that's, that's along the lines of, you know, a firefighter or, you know, the first responder guys that go out and they're, they're going in there not to, you know, you know, take somebody out. They're going in there to save somebody. And so that's a different mindset, right? And that's a, that's a, that's a whole nother level of first responder, which is like PJ, right? Right. But then to go in as, um, knowing that, and I think Green Beret is different, right? So Green Beret is a group of guys who go in and train other groups of people to liberate themselves. Right. Right. And then you have like Navy SEAL who is not going to liberate anybody. And they're <laughs> not going to do that. They're just going in to do the dirty stuff. Right. And and doing it for the right reason, but they're coming in to do dirty stuff yeah. and and leave. Right. And so they don't necessarily see that some of that stuff, right? I think the guys that are Green Berets, they go live with them. Yes. So it's a different deal, right? It is, yeah. I mean, I remember I was with, when I was there, like that was a part of it. Like when we weren't going on ops, you know, it was always, we were sending guys out and we're going and working with the partner force, teaching them CQB, teaching them all those things. And you spent a good portion of your day training those guys because that's what we would do. We'd yeah. go out on ops, there'd be, you know, roughly 12 to 15 of us and, you know, 30 of them or so. And you, you know, you relied on them to do a lot of the things that you needed them to do. Yeah. Well then, um, and, and one of the things that I said to him was like, so you can't go in and do those things without some kind of higher understanding of value of life. Like you can't go in there. I guess you can, if you do it for money and that's a, 
totally different deal. Yeah. But even if you come in and you're doing that because you have the skills and you're doing that for money, like you can't sleep at night if you're not, if you don't have an, a better understanding of a higher purpose. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. I just don't think you can. And, and I think that's a struggle for a lot of guys that come back when they don't understand that. Right. And then they've got to rectify that in their head. Yeah. And, and that's a tough spot. Right. Have you ever read the book Tribe? by Sebastian Younger. No. Oh, you got to read it. Really? Phenomenal book. It talks, it talks a lot about that. And so it's kind of the whole coming back and having, having that sense of community. And so push it down just a little bit. Yeah. So the, uh, the whole purpose of that is basically, you know, we're, we're tribal in nature. We're, we're communal people. Yeah. For the longest times we would stay, you know, we would be in these like nomad nomadic tribes, like moving around together and, you know, PTSD at that point, you know, acute PTSD, like that, that was normal. You know, if you got attacked by a lion, you were on edge and you were a little shaky, yeah. you just got attacked by a lion. You want to get attacked by another lion. Yeah. It works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it kept you on edge and kept you aware that you don't, you weren't falling asleep and getting eaten. But when you got back to your tribe and you were safe again, that, that went away. Um, but this whole like chronic PTSD that we're seeing now, it, there's basically what he's saying is that, when you're deployed and you're in those situations, your your tribe is that team that you're a part of, right? It's a bunch of like-minded individuals right. who you all see and feel the same way. But then when you come home and that team disperses and now you're back in like the civilian community that you're a part of, you all of a sudden feel as an outcast and you you don't understand, you know, why they look at you a little bit differently. And, you know, maybe because they don't they don't understand, you know, what you saw. And maybe they visualize the movies and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I'll never forget when I got back. Uh, it was, we went somewhere for 4th of July and I was like, Hey, are you okay to be around fireworks? I'm like, yeah, we'll keep around fireworks. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and, and even it talks about like during world war two, like during the blitzkrieg, how, when, uh, London was just getting bombed, they're just getting just destroyed that the suicide rate and the people, the number of people going into psychiatric hospitals went down because all of a sudden they were neighbors again. You know, they, wow. you know, if your house got destroyed, you moved in with your neighbors and you had meals together. You know, never before in civilization have we ever lived so close to people yet been so far. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Freaking detached. Yeah. Exactly. People live two doors down from me. I don't know their names. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've, it's never been that way before. Hmm. You know, and, and I think that that because of that and because of all the other electronics and whatever else that we, it gives us a, a way to devalue even more so, yeah. right? The people around us. And and that's why we're, we're, you know, get me off on a tangent, but, you know, it's the, it's the real question that is being asked about, you know, is it my body autonomy or whatever else? No, it's a life form and we need to decide whether or not that life form has value. Yeah. And if it doesn't have value, then what constitutes your value? Yeah. Right? Because if you're saying that that doesn't have value, then when do we decide that, life has no value. And when we start to do that, society's going to suck. Yeah. Right. And so if you say that, then it's just because you can't live your life that way, or you're, you know, you making different decisions, those decisions have impacts on other people. And when do we get to say that you can, you can make a decision on your life that impacts other people with no concern of yours. Right. Right. And that's, that's the same mindset of, you know, Nazi Germany. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's honestly what it was. They didn't, they didn't see the value in life and other people. And because of that, they could, they, they could write it in their brain to be, go ahead and do different things to people that, you know, you know, pretty much appalling. Yeah. It was just, they were able to justify it. Yeah. And so, um, so we come around to, to that and, um, and so, man, it comes back to the, like where we, 
see our value now as I think it's something that's really important, right? Is that when you see and you run and we do get to go and do all these selfish things as young men. Yeah. And um and then all of a sudden we start to have families and we start to realize and and when we do come to a place where we do realize that, you know, we do, we can't give back. We do give more. It's not just, and not, not even just our own kids, but then to back to society that, um, and you had the luxury of having a job that is like people look at and go like, oh, that's pretty freaking cool. Right. And you get to do some pretty cool stuff, right? right? By whatever standards it is, it was a cool stuff. Now, like you've been given an opportunity to speak with a little bit of authority into other people's lives, right? Yeah, that's the that's the hope. Yeah, well, and I think it is yeah. right. Um, and so, sports are such a cool place to enter that into with yeah. young people. Absolutely, right. Well, it goes back. We were talking about it a little bit earlier, but you know, one of the things that I feel like is the the, the biggest failure on our part as a society is the lack the lack of the rite of passage. Um, We've always had some some event that took a boy to to the status of a man, right? You know, I always think back to like the uh, the Spartans and the Gogi or something like that, like something yeah. that a young man had to do to become a valued member of that tribe or of that civilization, like a voting member. You know, someone that had authority as in a man. Yeah. Well, we don't have that anymore. Some kind of proving ground. Some type of proving ground. Something, and, but you know what? It's it's so that the tribe or the 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 society can look at them and know that they're worthy but even more so and what we're missing today it's so that that young man knows his own worth oh that is that's huge right, right? yeah oh, that is really a, such a big thing for young men absolutely right i mean um i i think that's a big part of what we're having with these kids that are shooting yes right they not only value them, don't value themselves, they haven't had to prove anything, but also they don't value any other lives. And, and you know, it, it's, you just nailed it right there. You, you can't respect others unless you respect yourself first. No. And, and that's, that's what I see as, as being the biggest problem there is, you know, you look at some of these kids that are doing these horrendous things and they don't have respect for authority, nor do they have respect for themselves. And, and that's, do you know what the one commonality between all, I, I say all of them, without knowing for certain it's sure. all of them, but I bet you it's 95 to 99%. I, I, I'm willing to throw a guess out there. I think it's not having a, a male figure. Male yeah, it's not having a father, not yeah. having the father role in yeah. the house. Yeah. Uh, I mean, every single one of those young men, and, and it's evident that it's not young ladies doing it. Yeah. It's not yet. There's no young ladies going out there and shooting people up. Yeah. Well, you know, it kind of goes back. Like, I wonder if they think that is, that is their, their right, or that's their, not their, they're right. They're right of passage. And like, right. you know, I'm going to go do this They're bold ground. Exactly. I'm going to go do this bold thing. And that's going to, you know, make me who I am. And I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. And it's like, no, nah, man, you, you missed it. You missed it there. But yeah. I heard this really, we just did this like coaching seminar and, and it was talking about how in every great story, there's four characters. You have the victim, you have the villain, you have the hero and you have the guide. So like the easy examples, like the karate kid, right? You, there would be no karate kid without like Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. And you know, there's not a whole lot of difference between the villain and the hero. It's it's the guide who turns that person into either the hero or the villain. The hero needs that guide to show them what it is to be virtuous. You know, mm -hmm. and without that guide, they turn into a villain. 
and you know that's that's kind yeah, of and you see that in the in the like uh yeah like karate kid's perfect because the other kid is you know you you look at him when he's done and you, you don't like him when he's out there kicking his sand in the beach and whatever yeah. else chasing him down you're like yeah get him and whatever else but then when you see him get crushed in the competition you're like oh and the other the bat the, the villain goes and you know whacks him around and you know whatever and you're like oh and you feel sorry for him too yeah, yeah that's so true and, and you know i think that's the problem is you know our young men are missing their guide you know that mm. father figure that that male role model and, and even more so past that but like i also think that another you know partial issue is is like trying to be your kid's friend oh yeah because that's... i mean you there, there needs to be a, a level of respect and understand when I say a level of fear, I don't mean like I'm a, a, afraid of you, but there's a fearful respect. No, no different than like the biblical, like the fear of yeah, God. Exactly. Like you need to fear your father and, and, and that's what causes that respect. When you, when there is no fear there, there's no respect. And that's what we see with these shooters. They don't, they don't have a, a healthy fear. Thus they lack the respect for others and themselves. Yeah, exactly. I, um, Man, that's, that's really, that's really big. I mean, that's really, really big. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So something that I have taken notice of here lately is, um, I'm, so I've been trying to kind of like step out of what I know. Cause you know, I grew up in, <clears throat> you know, rural America, white rural America. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, so I've got, you know, and I had to really kind of take a look at, you know, all this, you know, ideas about white privilege and all these other deals. I don't, I don't want to be stupid about it. Right. Yeah. I don't want to be neglectful and I don't want to, you know, and I grew up and I've been around a, a lot of different cultures. I, I, there's cultures I really, really like, right. That are not my culture, but I really like, and, uh, something that I've taken note of, right. Is the, um, the black community. Right. Right. And, um, I made note to this of this to a guy uh, the other day, and I thought it was pretty. It was pretty insightful, and I don't know. If, I don't know if it's insightful, like on my part, but it, like it was insightful when the 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 view of it, right from my my point of view, um, was an eye opener. Yeah, that um, we were talking about uh, not being able to say what a woman is. Can't, say, can't define what a woman oh, is, right? Great documentary, by yeah. the way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was a great documentary. He's <laughs> the guy's funny. He cracked me up. So, um, but this is my observation to this guy, right? And and he was like, you know, actually arguing the point with me about, <clears throat> do we really know what a woman is? Like, and he was, you know, and, and I get that you're using new terms and whatever else. And so I, I know, you know, these different identities and whatever else but he was he was talking about and i i explained to him that you know like so what's been the downfall of the african-american community right has been taking away the power of the male yes right that has been you you take a man and take away his ability to defend his family for fear of losing his family that that's a different level, yes. right? To take a man and essentially neuter him, right? Because of the fear of losing his children, he's not going to fight to defend what's right, right? And, and we see now 
even in the government end and stuff like that, that have promoted not having a man in the household, right? What that has done to, to a group of people, yes, right? It, and a socioeconomic group and a race and color of people, what it has done to them and right, removing the male role model from the household and to neuter that man. Now he's going to come back with vengeance, right? Absolutely. And not because it's a righteous vengeance necessarily, but it's a vengeance because of like, now it's a misunderstanding of what vengeance is and what's right, right? Because the role model has been taken away yeah. and neutered, right? And you create this whole terrible scenario, right? Yeah. And this guy is like smart guy. And he's smart. He's a smart black guy, right? And he's defending this idea of, you know, that what a woman is and the def definition of and whatever else. And I said, do you think for a second that that movement that took the power of the male, the black male away is using your intelligence to take the power of the woman away? You've, you've allowed, this has happened in a society where you have allowed a man, a, a government, a, a group of people, whatever you want to call it, who it is. And then I call it evil. Yeah. It's just evil, I right? Agree. doesn't matter what race or color it is. It's evil. When you dis you take the power away from the male, right? And you do that to, to the, uh, essentially attacking the family unit. Right. So when we take and attack the family unit, you take the male role model, the fatherhead of the group away. Right. And now you're going to relabel what a woman is. Yeah. You don't think you're taking away the power of the next role model in that family unit. And that's what they're doing. Yeah. And worse yet, they're using your intelligence to do it. Yeah. You're using your own intelligence. So fight that good fight, buddy. Yeah. See where that's taking you. It's already done that to you as a man. You went and taken. You're going to be a participant in doing it with your woman too. Yeah, that's that's tough, man. That that, that is, is hard. That is that's, that's hard to hear. And it's true though. But that that's the I think that's the hardest part right there is, you know, when you you come to that realization and you realize, man, I missed that one. It's being able to be like, you know what, I might have missed that one, but I'm not going to miss it again. No. And and but it, it is so vital to our culture because I. It's fine. It's vital to the family unit, and, right? And the, that is that is what this country was founded on. Right? Yeah. And you know, to me, it all—I've got a soapbox speech on this one—but it all—it all stems back to you know, people not understanding the difference between happiness and joy, right? Like Ooh. we were we were given you know like the pursuit of happiness, right? They didn't say I'm guaranteeing you happiness. No, you don't right? get it. You get the opportunity. Get the to opportunity pursue, to try it. Yeah, pursue to it. pursue yeah. it. But then on top of that. There's a difference between happiness and joy. People use those those two words synonymously, but they're not the same, right? Happiness is is feeble. You know, it can go away. You know what I mean? Joy, joy is lasting. I can I cannot be giggling and have joy, right? You know, waking up, you know, at the crack of dawn, going out there and you know, riding your horses as the sun's coming up. That's joy. Mm -hmm. Are you giggling and grinning from ear to ear? No, but you're joyful. I can, when I look back on the pipeline, 
some of our most miserable moments, right? Even those miserable moments. And then I think about that, the one guy, the one goofy the one guy. guy. Yeah, the guy. The one guy that had the smart-ass remark that, you know. That yeah. made everyone laugh, you know, yeah. or like just kind of like it was our little way of oh sticking God. it to him. Yeah. That's joy. You know, yeah. we, 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 and I tell, I say this to my, my football players all the time too, like you become a team through struggle. Yeah. Like struggle, I think Joe Rogan said, he's like, I'm not happy unless I'm struggling. Yeah. You know, that's where I find my joy is when I'm, when I'm pushing myself, you know, another great line is, uh, oh, I just lost it. But <laughs> another great line is that pressure is a privilege. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when you're, when you're, you had to do something to get there, to be under pressure. Right. And that that's, I'm joyful in those situations. Right. So there, there is, you're not guaranteed happiness, but you can find joy in no matter what situation you're in. And when you, when you lose that, when you lose that understanding, then you become a victim. And yeah. once you become that victim in your own mind, it's all downhill. And, mm. and I feel like that's what's happening to our society is that we've we've allowed certain things and certain rights to be taken from we're, us. We're allowing kids to have like safe spaces. And I mean, not kids like in kids in school. I'm not like kids like young employees at yeah. businesses that you're having safe spaces. Like, what are you what are you promoting? Yeah. Like, what, what in the heck? And what's crazy about any of it, right, is that. There's so much truth in reality, right? I think that's something that's really overlooked and we can, and I know, I know what's biblical. I know what's, what's, what biblical is, right? I know and what the written word says, right? But I confirm what the written word said by what I see in reality because the one who created reality wrote the book, yeah, right? And so if I misinterpret what the written word is, and it doesn't line up, my interpretation does not line up with reality, he's not a liar, right? He doesn't do one and then say something different. It's me that's the liar, yeah, you right? Don't get to, you don't get to say this is what I no. think it means. This, is how, this and, is how it makes me feel. It's and how it everything in reality, everything, seeds that grow and give us crops, they go through struggle. <laughs> Everything that grows, everything that gets better grows through struggle. Our, our, our country, our freedom, everything comes at a cost and none of that is for free. And if it's free, it's going to cost you somewhere. That's exactly right. right. And, and, and that's truth. And if that's true, then what are we doing by pacifying and skirting around the struggle? That's why I think like sports psychology, I love the idea of sports psychology because it is geared towards, you know, it, there's truth and reality in sports, right? You don't work hard at it. You're not going to get it right. Yes. You're, and you know, I'm not talking like you get to win. You just get to participate, yeah. right? It's finding it's, it's, it's uh, you get the opportunity to, yes. right? And so, but you don't get the opportunity if you don't work for it. Right. right. And, and there's, there's reward in that struggle in sports. And that's uh, the psychology behind sports psychology is giving you that truth in the reality and the work. And it always comes out through sweat and work. That's exactly right. Right. And, and then there's pride that comes from oh. that. That's 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 pride. The, you will you, not get from somebody giving you something. No, that's the rite of passage. That yep. That's why sport is so important right now, because we don't have that rite of passage we were talking about. But sport can be that rite of passage. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not a liar. It's then it's not a liar. It's not a liar. We uh, we so we just started football practice this past week, and on Mondays, the very first thing the guys had to do was get out there and run 10 one tens. Yeah, the very first thing they had to do, and they were they were sucking. Yeah. Right? It sucks, yeah. you know, but you do it. 
You yeah. do it and it sucks. But then when you look back, you're like, you know what? I did that. No one else could run that 110 for you. You were the only one who can do it. Oh and if you want to be here, you do it. And and you see young boys change over that time. Absolutely. From the first week they change. Yes. They realize they can do something. Yeah. You know, it's the stepping into it and the whole, you know, I think that's such a great reflection of fatherhood too, right? It is. It is. It's that... I tell a story about how um, was my dad um, came home really drunk for the first time <laughs> as a kid, and um, and my dad, you know, went through this whole deal. There's a, there's a on my YouTube channel. There's a, I tell this story, but um, he just let me go to sleep because I was you know drunk and he didn't want to talk to me. Yeah. And um, and the next morning at six, he woke me up drug me outside we didn't have a talk man i mean he didn't talk to me about you know staying out drinking partying whatever else coming back you know late and drunk and everything else and he took me out there and we dug fence post holes yeah. in marion texas which is black dirt and rock i mean it's yeah. the crappiest post hole digging you've ever seen and and you know looking back at it i don't think i did more than probably four or five hours out there doing right. it but and i think he did most of the work yeah. really but um he had me out there. He didn't talk to me about it. Had me sunflower seeds and water. That's all I had, yeah. you know. And 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 I it was sucking the whole deal and everything. Um, and then at the end of it, he just told me, um, "You can go out and you can drink, but you always show up to work." Yeah. Right. And there's a price to pay. Right. He didn't have to tell me anything more than that. But the profound part about it was that he didn't send me out there to do post holes. He stepped into my struggle with me and he did it. Yeah. I mean, like that's what a dad does, right? Yes. That's what a father does is he steps into the struggle with him. And so it's, it's the same role model as a coach and, 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 and understanding the psychology behind being a father, a leader and a coach. I mean, it's the same thing as in, in business. If you're leading a, a group of men in business or women, people period, yeah. you know, they don't want to see you telling them what to do. They want to see you in the struggle with them and working it and doing it. And that's what inspires them to be able to want to be like you lead from the front. Yeah. Lead from the front. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And that, you know, kind of that all ties back into the, the father figure and the, the, la the loss of the father figure in, in the family. Yeah. In the family unit. And and I think that's exactly what happens, right? Is when when you lose that father figure and you lose that person who can teach you what it is to be a man and what it is to not allow yourself to become a victim. When you're on your own to figure it out for yourself, your your mind goes the your mind has a tendency to go the wrong way. Yeah. And when no one's there to course correct you and you follow that and you continue following that route, that's where you get lost. Yep. And that's why the father is so important to be there. Or or some type of mentor, some type of male mentor is just like, hey man. Like this, this is how life works. You know, I know, I know society tries to tell you you're perfect, but you're not, mm -hmm. you know, boy, that's the first, that's a, one of the best things that it's for them to learn period Yeah, that, you know, you're not that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we used to be told that all the time. You know, there was, we had this commander at the 22nd. He used to tell us all the time, like to the, to the operator guys. And he'd be like, you know what? You might be special, but you're not better. You know, remember, remember, remember that when you deal with other people, when you're talking to people, always be humble, always be grateful. Um, and, and now that, that was always great advice, but yeah, yeah that, that's and such a great role too, to, to see that come around in the coaching that now, you know, now you get to do the coaching and, yeah. and, 
And the individual coaching, like I think, you know, it's great as the team and it's, and it's why it requires like quite a few coaches. It can, you can't do it with just one coach. I mean, having several coaches that you just never know when you're going to reach those guys. Yeah. You never know when you're going to reach and who you're going to reach. Yeah. Right. And I th- what I love about my job, at least at the high school, right? So I've, I've got the, the high school, so I'm still part-time at the special warfare center doing yeah. that, um, going back to school with, with the performance psychology. And then the the strength coach at uh, the high school here in Bernie. And what I love about being the strength coach is that I run the weight room. And the beautiful thing about the weight room is, is it's a place of, it's where you unite. It's where the team becomes a team because in the weight room, you're not fighting over who's going to be the starting quarterback. You know, you're not fighting over who's going to be the starting pitcher. At that point, it's all about the team and everyone just trying to do the best they can. And for me, when I'm training them in the weight room, I'm not, I don't care who's starting. My job is to make you the best you can be. And and if that means that, you know, it's hitting your PR, which is, you know, what other people warm up with, I don't care. It's about you becoming who you, who you want to be and who, and it's only, you can do it. No, no one's going to get you there. Mm. You got to do it. And And there is, there is no, there is no excuses and there is no nothing whenever you're put, it's five more pounds. That's exactly Whatever right. it is, like it's, it's do or die. You know it's, what? That barbell doesn't care if you didn't get much sleep last night. Does not. Does not. And it's not going to lie and tell you you lifted it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the barbell doesn't think you're perfect. No, it doesn't think anything yeah. of you. I didn't think anything of you. I think that's something that um, I've learned as getting further into training horses, right, uh, over the years and stuff. There was a lot of times where at the beginning – Um, I was a very selfish trainer and, um, and it was the purpose of what they were going to, the horse was going to do for me. Yeah. And I really have grown into, um, really enjoying the getting the best out of the horse that I'm riding Yeah, and encouraging and, and whatever that is for that horse. Right. But also, um, seeing how much I can get out of one and, and the, 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 the personal struggle with each one and finding out, you know, really, truly finding out where, where their, where their talents are and, and getting the most out of, out of them. There's been, you know, I've gotten to take some really, really nice horses and show and do really nice with a really nice horse. And I think some of the biggest accomplishments I've had was taking the mediocre horse and getting it to the top of the level it was, right? Yeah. That it was, it may not have been anything but a 72 horse, right? But I got it score 72. Like I got everything out of it a couple of times. And there's one of those trophies in here that I won that um, is, it, it means uh, more to, to me on than a lot of the other ones because that horse gave me its two best runs in a row. Yep. To give me to get to earn that right, so that horse gave me everything, and I got it to its top potential, and not to its detriment, right? Yeah. But got it there, and and uh, and did it on a horse that was lesser horse than the other guys, right? And he pulled it out, and I got it done, and we did it two times in a row, and it was like you know, yeah, you know, beautiful, yeah, yeah. And so I imagine doing that with like some of the young, younger kids yeah. and teaching that, you know, teaching them that they can do it, but then showing them how to have the accountability. And I mean, there's just, there's so many phases to it that come, you know, as you go. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. And, you know, kind of like talking about that, that struggle and, and, and that, but that's, that's kind of like what I'm hoping to do. You're saying, you know, having the, having a platform and, and, and talking like, so we had, when you were on team, you had your, your human performance team. And now that was your strength coach. That was your nutritionist, your physical therapist. Uh, your chaplain, your psych doc, like you had that team and that, and their job was to help, you know, make us the best we could possibly be. And and they just, they poured into us. They were, 
absolutely awesome. Wow. So my psych doc, I put the two, two, uh, he was a seer instructor before he came a psych doc. This guy is the man and he actually lives here in the San Antonio area. And really? I need to hook you up with him. Dude. I want to talk to dude, that dude. He is amazing. He's an awesome guy. Um, and so they, so they, seer is search evasion or what is that? Yeah. Um, so survival, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. Okay. And so he taught that. And essentially, you go there, and, and if you're basically to get uh, to get separated from your team, or if you're a pilot and, you're, and you crash behind enemy lines, basically how to evade the enemy and get, yeah. get back to safety. Um, or if you are, or if you do become a prisoner of war, how to handle yourself and how to manage yourself. Dude, there's a lot of psychology. Oh, mm. a ton of psychology, and he's he's gotten to do some amazing things. And he's retired, but yeah, so he lives here, and um, awesome guy. But, uh, so the intent of what I'm trying to do, you know, I'm still doing the, the high school stuff, but I'm, I'm wanting to take that, that human performance and basically use, use the, the physical, you know, the strength and conditioning as, as a pathway into building that mental strength and that mental confidence. And, and to me, we're talking about, we're talking about the, the kids these days and, and the young people, but we kind of touched on already. It's, it's the adults that are, it's our responsibility to shape those young men and women. Mm -hmm. And, but if we're not, if, you know, cause we've seen this younger generation now, there's a lot of 28 year old fathers who, you know, questionably, are they, are they walking around as men? And, you know, and I, those are the people that I really think that we need to address. Like we, everyone's focused on like, what can we do with these youngsters? And I think that's important, but I think the most important is for them to, to have that fear and that respect for their father and for adult figures. And if you can take that uh, that father or that that man and you can teach him to to walk with some confidence and to know that when he goes out into public he can protect his family and he has that confidence you know that's that's contagious now his wife looks at him differently his kids look at him differently and that just amplifies his confidence even more and you know honestly that's a very biblical too right because if you 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 could reach a child and you'll change a child but if you reach the father you will change the family exactly right and i like it just harkens back to where and I don't mean to harp on this, but it's it was pretty profound to me, right? Just coming to the realization of of what that really has done to a portion of our society, right? And particularly the particularly the the black male that the that the white male has not understood, right? And that's why I say it because it's for me it was a big eye opener as to what what was really done in in the process of you know you know everything from again, it's not even just slavery right i i think i almost think that you know slavery was like outright obvious enough right that that it would be different than this this underlying tone of what it do, what it's doing to our family our society as a family and, and taking and neutering the male. Yeah. Right. But, um, to, to take a man's ability away from him to defend his family. Like I can't imagine that. Yeah. And having to explain to my son how to act a different way when he goes out in public for, for fear of him being harmed. Like I can't imagine doing that for my boy. No. Right. Like I just, I would, I would, I, I don't know. I don't want to say what yeah. I would do, right? But just that that I don't I don't want that fear for my son, right? And that I would have to have that conversation would would freaking break me. Yeah. Right. 100%. And what that's done to the family unit, right? Is and and that we're given the opportunity to do that and now reach the female. 
Yeah. I mean, it's this isn't a an argument as to a war of words. This is this is becoming a, a war on the family. Yeah. Right? And it's becoming it now it's being taken to my it's being taken to my wife. Yeah. It's being taken to my my girls, right? And 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 devaluing telling me that a man's gonna be a better woman than a woman. Yeah. You know, like how, how stupid is all this getting? Yeah. Right? So we do. We have to reach those I think we do have to reach those those young parents. You know, and yeah. and mentor men, you know, not just the young boys, but the, the mentor men, I think, is a huge part. And the way we mentor men yeah. is big, too. A hundred percent. Yeah, because yeah, you're talking about uh, pre- pressures of privilege, but no, my favorite is to whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah. And, and it scares me. <laughs> Yeah, but it, it it inspires me too, right? That I have been given a bunch, not not that I've been given a bunch money wise, but I've been given a lot in life, just life. Yeah. What I've experienced and seen and done, it's crazy. Experiential knowledge. Yeah, you can't. They, so they call that like I took a class on uh, sports sociology, and they basically call it your your culture capital, right? Like your experiences. And it's something you can't buy, but you can give it away, you know? Yeah. Those it's that experiential knowledge. Like, you know, kind of going back to like the route. You can't buy it. You can't, you can't buy it. And you can give it away and give it away. God, that is such, that's really, huh? Yeah. It's profound. It it is. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a gift. And And when you have different, you have different routes you can take in life. And that was always a big thing, you know, you, you follow your passion. Like I, I see so many people that who don't follow their passion, whatever that is. And it's not even monetary based, right? Like your mm-hmm. passion could get you really wealthy. And if so, man, good for you. Like, yeah. Good on you. Or it could get you experiences that, you know, that a lot of people talk about, but they never, they never followed. And, and that's one of the things that always breaks my heart. Cause you know, you always hear all the time people say like, man, I really wish I'd have joined the military. That's something I really, really thought would have been good for me. And, and I'm like, well, you know, how old why are didn't you? you? Yeah. Or why don't you? Yeah. Why like, don't what are you, you waiting on? I mean, I was, 27 years old when I joined and you know that's crazy do it man just do it like or if it's not don't join the military you know I always wanted to be a horse trainer do it yeah do it because I guarantee you you know what's you know you're probably not going to have as much of depending on which route you get you might not have as much money in the bank but you're going to have so much culture capital Um, you're going to have so much you're going to have experience that's my new phrase word experiential knowledge right like the stuff that you can't buy like experience is more valuable than anything else because then i can pass that experience on when you know i go out and i i do those things and then i realize hey or i choose i decide to have a family at that point that is so much more that that's the wealth i want to pass to my children yeah exactly yeah because it's the one thing you can't take i mean you falter and you fail and whatever it is that my son's going to do you can't take that drive to get back where you were at before i mean like i i know i've had points in my career where i fell on my face man but i never thought that i was going to stop there yeah. it was just like i got up again and i was i always joked that i was like i was that dumb i was nobody sat there and told me i didn't have a mentor that told me that so i was just that either ate up with stupid or i was i was just ate up with the failure of like out of china what what was my choices yeah like what i so i'm not gonna quit like i can't like i'm i'm not gonna get there now yeah if i just quit now that's a guarantee 
you know that, that is worth but that's taught right that, that is so and that is the most valuable thing you can have right that that mentality is what built this country yeah and that's what we're losing you know you know my biggest failures like what kind of going back to the story i told about failing you know the pj thing three times like i felt like a failure and i was just i was i was like i was in a depression state like i was devastated yeah. now when i look back on that greatest thing that ever happened to me greatest thing ever happened to me. and so funny you know i've i've, I've gotten to interview some really really cool folks right and everybody has always talked about you know the struggles and the work and you know he always you know like the, the, the guy that was the green beret he was like you know he's talking about q course and how you know the struggles and all that kind of stuff and all the failures and then and at the end of it all and a lot of them have had you know high highs right yeah. and um not a one of them would had chosen to not go through the struggle oh yeah uh, because they know what's on the other side. Totally worth it. And I think that's something that's really misunderstood. It's like the same thing with horse training, right? Most people don't go long enough, don't try hard enough, don't stick with one heart long enough because they don't know what's on the other side. It's the not knowing, right? Yes. And that is that is to get through that part, to get through that push, to get through that hard, hard part, right? You have to have somebody that looks at you and goes, just try one more time. Yep. Just do it again. Like, what? what's, what's your choice? Yeah. Yeah, and I actually had to write a write a paper this week on uh, in my psychology class, and it was basically, you know, why do people put themselves through marathons? Like, what is the joy? Like, when marathon training is like extremely grueling, takes so much time and so much effort, why do people put them through it? And then why do so many people start it but not finish it? And and then follow on question is why when they finish it and they're just absolutely smoked, are they ready to sign up for the next? And, and, but you just, you just said it, right? It's yeah. when you face the struggle and you come out on the end as a, as a winner and successful. And that doesn't mean you won the race. Mm -mm. That means you beat, you beat the doubting thoughts in your mind yeah. and you came out on top and you realize that you had a level where you thought that this is my max effort. And then you realize, you know what? That ain't my max effort. My max effort is oh, effort way up one. here. There's another one. Sign me up. Yeah. Like, I will do that again. I just did this young girl. Uh, I, I had an interview with, uh, her name is Christiana or Chris Christiana. I know her first Christiana, Christiana Roglowski. Okay. And, um, she used to saddle horses for me here. Yeah. And she has gone on, she was homeschooled and she, she saddled horses, never got to do any sports, whatever else. She's one of the top level Spartan racers now. She nice. just did it. And yeah. now she's doing hundred mile races. These hundred, these like crazy 24 hour, hundred mile races. Yeah. And she's doing them in like Colorado and smoking them in the hills and stuff and doing Washington ones where they're like, I mean, just sick ones, right? Yeah. hundred miles through that. Right. And, um, and to read her posts when she gets done, like she's on such a crazy high. Yeah. It's just, in, it's maddening, yeah. right? And to see her push through some of these, she's running these ones and to pay for her uh, entries because she was, <laughs> she didn't have any money. She's just doing yeah. it for sport and for fun, right? Yeah. I mean, like she's really, she's, she's working as a nanny. <laughs> to pay her way to do these deals, awesome. right? I mean, it really is. I just, I love listening to her, right? And she's, because it's not about, it's it's the it's just the journey for her. And she's recognized it so young, right? That she's on the journey and she's just embracing it. She's loving every bit of it. And she's, she's paying her entries by after running one of these 15 mile Spartan race, crazy deals and stuff, then she works the booth out. 
That's I mean, dedication yeah. though, right? That's that's passion. It is. And she's like, she was talking about the time she's getting back in her car and she didn't know she could get her car, legs back in her yeah. car, you know, because she, she did a double. Yeah. She did 30 miles. She did 30 miles Spartan. Yeah. I mean, she did 15 mile one and then she did it again. Yeah. Right. And they call it the ultra something ultra nut is what yeah, it right? is. Right. And she did it and then worked the booth out. <laughs> but you know what that is? That, like, that's that's passion. That's like that's yeah. in the love of the game. I'm and, telling you, and man. It, and she's found what so many don't. And it, that, you just you just nailed it right there. It's there's another quote. And it's essentially like everyone loves to win. True champions love the process. Yes. Because it's that process. It's the love of the game. It's, you know, we tell our athletes all the time, like, you're going to spend way more time practicing. You're going to spend way more time training that horse than you ever will competing with it, right? So learn to love the process. Learn to love the moment you're in. And when you do it for the love and for the passion of what whatever your event, whatever your thing is, then that's when you start getting all of those um, benefits that come from that. You found the reward. You found the reward. Yeah. Exactly. That's what a champion is. Yeah. That's what a champion is. It's the day in. It's it's finding the joy, right? Right. It's the joy, not the happiness. You know, happiness comes from winning. Yeah. You know, the joy is the process. They always say, you know, mountaintops, you know, a mountaintop, it's it's cold, the air's thin, and it's a super narrow spot because you're not meant to dwell there. You get there, you enjoy it, and then you keep climbing. <laughs> it's all downhill from there. <laughs> Either direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that um you have a huge contribution, right? Because right now society is telling everybody that if they don't accomplish what you've accomplished, they're not worthy of having a, a say-so. They're not, they can't step in and they can't do these things. And it takes men like you that have gone and through and done and experienced, not because you got to experience the action and the highs and the whatever else, but that you've, you're, you're the one guy that's failed it three times, Absolutely, right? Yeah. That you get to talk to these other guys who are, you know, in their own words or whatever, that they're just a dad or they're just a this or they're just a that. And you're like, dude, you got no idea what lies ahead of you and what you can do. I think that's why there's such a big draw to jujitsu, right? It's because there's yes. so much freaking struggle in it. Right, you just just dealing with the heavy on top of your chest and just the not wanting to tap to the pressure, you know, is enough to make you, you know, squeal. Oh, man. Yeah, and it's and it's miserable and it's and it's. Uh, but I mean, it's such a place where even just the the regular Joe that has the you know, I mean, not everybody gets to do what you did because they don't make the decisions that you did, and they don't you know, and they don't accept the failure that you did to get to that point. But you can do it in your own space in your own life, and that is as inspiring to a kid as anything else. Absolutely, and it's it's so important to hear, right? Because. Because what we have to do is we have to redefine success, right? Well, success yeah. success doesn't mean and so here's my here's my little I'll try to keep it short, but my little soapbox on that one, right? So I feel like this whole mentality has gone it goes back to the greatest generation. And when we were talking about like the, Oh man, that's true. Yeah, the when the guys that, you know, lived through World War One, Great Depression, World War Two, my grandpa, my grandpa passed away a few years ago at hundred years old. And he was born in 1919. So he was a kid during the Great Depression. Wow. And then he was drafted into World War II. And he was in D-Day, Battle of the Bulge, Two Purple Hearts. Just an amazing man. This is the same grandpa who kept us horseback as kids. Like just, yeah. and he played a massive, him and my girl played a massive role in raising us. They grew up in Cat Springs, just outside oh, okay. of Sealy, if you know where that is. But yeah. Just a massive role and a huge, huge influence on me. 
Um, but so that greatest generation, they get done and they come back World War II ends and they, they live the suck. You know, some of those guys were in World War I and World War II and they come back and they have their kids and they're like, look, man, I just, I, I don't want you to have to go through what I went through. I want, I want to give you the opportunity to be successful and I want you to have, you know, a, a better life than what I had to live. And, and they meant that from like, from deep down in their souls. Like, I, I want more for you. I don't want you to have to do this. You know, they say, you know, hard times make hard men. Mm-hmm. Hard men, hard men make good times. Good times make soft men. Soft men make hard times. It's yep. cyclical. You know, they they didn't want that. They wanted that 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 better life for their kids. Well, those baby boomers, they heard that over and over again. Hey, I, I want I want to give you the opportunity to be successful. I want you to to not live the way I had to live. They heard it so much they started saying it to their kids, right? Mm-hmm. And their kids said it to their kids. To where now, as me being a young parent, it's almost like if my goal is not to make my life, my kids' life better slash easier than than mine, I'm wrong. It's it's not the right answer. And and somewhere along that line, that opportunity to be successful went from I want to give you the opportunity, which is I want to teach you work ethic to where you create opportunity. Exactly. To be successful, which is to define your own success. Um, it's changed from then to now, which is I want to give you the opportunity or I want you to have the opportunity. So I'll do the work for you to be um, successful, to get rich, to be and monetary. The, and the idea is it of, of one is defining what success is. Yes. And two is the word give. Yeah, you, like you, there, can't, there is a, you give can't give me, success. Yeah. You can't give me. There was, uh, um, my, my wife said one time that she wanted to, uh, she, she prayed for for patience. And, um, she said, she'll, I'll never do that again. Yeah. <laughs> she said, cause the, cause God doesn't give you patience. He teaches you patience, yeah, you know? Exactly. And so it's something that's, it has to, it, and it goes back to what we're talking about. Everything comes through struggle, right? Yes. And so you, we give these things because we get, we got so much. I, I had my boys, uh, it was funny this last week, my boy, or not this last month, my boys were like bragging about how they were, went over to their friend's house and they were staying up really late. And uh, I was like, what are you, I'm, like, I'm not up with that. I'm like, but it's their house, the other house rules. And I'm like, well, you're my rules and my kid and whatever. And so I, you know, and my wife's like, you know, take it easy. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, so I'll teach them my way. Yeah. Right. So they came back and we stayed up late and we saw them. One, my son said he saw the sun come up one morning. I'm like, what are you? I'm like, he's 15. Yeah. Right. So he came home and he was, oh, you know, but that was all cool and whatever else. 530 the next morning. Oh, yeah. I went and woke him up and he's like, what? I'm like, dude, you got horses to saddle. And he's <laughs> like, What? I was like, you can stay up late all you want, but we got work to do. Oh yeah. Come on out. You can saddle some horses with me. And I did that and I did I did that for about four or five days, right? Yeah. And then his younger brother was up there and kind of giggled one morning. I was like, get up, George. Yeah, buddy. Join the party, man. Yeah. Five thirty. Both of you boys. Now everybody's saddling horses for me yeah. and oil and tack and doing whatever else. Now like, man, how much do we gotta work? Said, man, you only have to work. Oh, I'm gonna have you in the summertime. You don't have to work three, four hours with me. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, what about? And I was like, no, no, three or four hours starts at five thirty. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get. You can have how much you get to work, but yeah. you don't get to decide what time. Yeah. It's my five thirty. Yeah. Uh, you know, my dad was very similar to that. He, uh, you know, all my friends would be sleep until noon in the summertime, and it was never that. I mean, it would be like ludicrous things. If he couldn't think of something he has to do, it'd be like get up at six to take the trash out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Invent just, torture. Just come up with a reason. But I'll never forget, like. I asked him if I could spend the night at a friend's house and he's like, that's fine. You can spend the night, but you got to be home at six o'clock. And my friend lived like, you know, a couple blocks away. I went too far, but he's like, you got to be home at six o'clock. 
and you're walking home. He's like, I'm not coming to get you. <laughs> and so I'll never forget. Like I had like, because cell phones weren't a thing back then. So yeah. I, like, I'd like set the old like clock, you know, and try to wake up and <laughs> out of fear. For, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Out of fear for everything. I'm the like, I one alarm it had. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I did, I got up, I walked home and, and I don't think anybody was actually even up yet, but it was, it was the principle of it. You know, yeah. we, we had something to do and man, I, you know, I have a very similar story of coming home, you know, drunk and, and my dad waking me up to work the very next morning, like super early, yeah. but, it, but it, you know, that's, that's so important. And you know, is. you talk it's, about everything good comes through struggle, you know, it does. I think that is so important that's like a little shameless plug, but that's why, you know, my company's called forged, you know, it's the forging process. You know, I read this article and it was, um, uh, it was about this guy up, I think he was in Montana or something like that. And he was taking veterans and he was teaching them how to make knives. There's a guy in San Antonio that does that. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I can't remember. Uh, I can find out for you. Okay. Yeah. So he does. That's a cool. So tell me that process because well, yeah. that's a cool deal. Yeah. And so it's, well, it's essentially you, you take something and you have to put it through pressure, right? You have to add the struggle. You have to add the pressure. You heat it up and you add that hammer and you put that pressure on them. And then that metal or that person comes out harder than they were before. Yeah. And, and that's, that's literally what, what I'm trying to do, but it's, it's what we need, right? We need, we need that struggle. We need that pressure, that privilege, right? We need someone to come in there and hammer us because we will come out harder. We will come out stronger because of it. But if you don't go through that forge, if you don't go through that that struggle, then man, you're you're missing. You're brittle, missing something. You're brittle and you're break. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It really, and that's what I mean. Like, there's nothing, nothing in the world in creation says differently. Yeah. And like it. It. There's. It's. It says a lot, man. It speaks to a lot that, you know, whether, even if you don't, even if you don't believe in biblical truth, yeah. right? And you're, uh, you know, you believe in evolution and, you know, all natural and whatever else. Hey, that's smacking you dead sm yeah. in the face too. So, how this so tell me how it does, that, that works any other way. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care if you don't believe in whatever, like, Prove it to me that it it happens another way. Yeah. Show me where a society who's given, you know, and they just get whatever they want and they have prosperity and with no consequences, how that works out. Yeah. And throughout history, show me one place. Yeah. Show me one dynasty that survived that. Yeah. None. None. Not a one. Nope. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Dude, you're going to have to come back on. Yeah. Come well, back. There's like, there's so many like rabbits. <laughs> I know. Chaser. I, know. I'm like, I'm I want to go this way. I'm like, yeah. oh, I better stay on task. Yeah. yeah. No, like, and I think that's something that's, this is something that I think is really important. And it kind of falls in, it's funny because I've done the, the Go Time podcast and I love the, because it's sports all around it. And yeah. I love the sports psychology of it. But man, the way that it runs into fatherhood. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I love the whole deal with the Todd father. But, and, you know, it's, it's so, it's so true and it's so important and it's, and, and I just come to an understanding that it's like, it's not just my kids that need to hear it. Right. It's, and it's not just kids that need to hear it. It's, it's, it's men that need to hear it. it is, yeah. Right. And, and truth, man, truth is infectious. It is. You can't deny it, man. I mean, it, cause it just it'll smack you in the face whenever you think you, <laughs> you, yeah. you can't deny it. Yeah. Right. It's going to meet you. That's right. Yeah. Wow, I think it's cool. I want to hear more about it. You're gonna have to come back and have some more on, especially that other dude, man. I want to see. Oh him. yeah, yeah. He's 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 awesome. He's one of my he's one of my favorite people. Yeah, so yeah. he's pretty cool. And you know, and it says a lot about that community, right? That's one thing about. It's one thing about the warrior community. Yeah. Right. No matter which parts, just you know, military or whatever, but the warrior community, there's there's there's, 
none of those men shy from struggle. Yeah. Right. And, and that's where, um, our, our best bonds, we can go. I think that's one of the beauties about military, right? Is that we all come from different cultures. And yeah. I had this one guy that I was, I went through tech school with. Mm-hmm. I just, I love that dude. His name yeah. is Stubblefield. We had nothing in common. He was from Detroit, wore wingtip shoes yeah. and, you know, and was a completely different culture than me. Yep. And I love that dude. Yeah. We, we just bonded right off the bat because our friendship was, was born in the, in, in, like a forged situation, a pressure situation. And that wasn't like we had to do physical that, but it was a mental pressure, right? Yeah. It was just, it was a mental pressure. It was a harder thing that we've ever, we'd had to do. We were dealing with being away from home and all the other things. And it wasn't like we bonded because we were, you know, needed, you know, a shoulder to cry on or something, but we were, we bonded because we were in the similar situation. We were away from home. He was close to his family too. And, you know, we just, and we were struggling to, Something that I wasn't good at was just studying and, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and that's where you see these guys that, you know, go through these, you know, like, especially like from, you know, war type situations yeah. that um, it creates a bond that, dude, I don't care what your political stance is. You, you, I was fixing to say the exactly, like, dude, nobody cares about politics in a firefight. care about any of that what stuff. What you care about in the middle of a firefight. You is, got my back. Yeah. When you, when you go through, and I actually had the same conversation with some of the athletes, you know, because when you go through that struggle, when the dust settles and you look to your right and your left and you see who's still, who's still standing shoulder to shoulder with you, mm. that's, that's who you care about. That's, yeah. that's what, that's what matters. I, I could care less what politics are saying in the middle of it. When I go out there, it's about the guy to the right and the guy to the left of me. And that's, that's the beauty. Yeah. That that's where that's where that selfishness we talked about earlier. That's where that goes away and the team becomes a thing. When I care more about the team than I do myself, the struggle actually gets easier. Yeah, it does. You know. And and you know it and I chose the physical route. You don't have to it doesn't have to be a physical. No. You it's you find your passion and you give your all to it and you're going to there's going to be struggle. There's going to yeah. be struggle. Like I it pick anything, pick it, you know. Yep. Be go be acting i don't know, be an actor and, and there's gonna be struggle and as long as you use that as as an ability to grow and as long as there's growth in there like you're winning you're yeah. you're gonna be you're gonna be fine it's it's the whole you know teddy roosevelt man in the arena i'd rather be the guy in the arena you know covered in blood sweat and tears than the person you know in the stands you know the naysayer in the stands essentially yeah 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 that's for sure and um and at a, at a young age Sports is the best, the first arena. It is. It's like the first arena, and it's not a liar. Nope, it's not a liar. It, it, that's that, that is that is why I chose that avenue. Yeah, I that's think, cool. I think with sport, and I, I'll even go past sports. And and while while I think sports is a great one, I think just physical fitness, right? Like maybe sports isn't for you. Maybe 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 that's because really, you know. So kind of on a little side note here. So you have like they call them, you know, your your power sports and you have your lifestyle sports. Mm-hmm. And so in America, we're really big into power sports. It's like your football, your baseball, your basketball. It's, it's the, it's the sport that has a definitive winner, definitive loser. Mm. And it's the one everyone loves to watch, but typically unless you make it to the next level, when you graduate high school, you're done with it. Right. Yeah. And then you have lifestyle sports, which are sports that carry on past that. And I think you already know exactly what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. For me, jujitsu. Jiu-jitsu yeah. is my lifestyle sport. It's what I have chosen. You know, they did a study with some of the Norwegian countries and skiing. Like they start skiing from a super young age, and that's a lifestyle sport. It's a passion that they carry on much later into life. You know? well, I think that's why that there's been such a big craze in <clears throat> in something like CrossFit. Yeah, 
hundred. Right. Because it is like it is the epitome of all that stuff. It, and the reward is the finish. I think there's a cool part about it, right? Is yeah. that it's it's not necessarily and I think that's the same with jujitsu, is that it's it it's not it's the it's the I survived. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I I didn't get I didn't get tapped out today yeah. and that was like i remember my biggest deal was like i there's one guy at, at headquarters that you know i rolled with quite a bit and it was just like man i remember the day that he did not submit me and it was like i went five minutes and that beast did not get me yeah that was that's a major accomplishment 100 and it's the same thing with like crossfit is that it's it's uh it's it's not like you've got to make the crossfit games it's yeah. just like that you accomplished that that next box step or that you got to this part or you 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 know you lifted this you know that and and then the camaraderie that comes behind it because everybody in the gym's got the sketch struggle right you just nailed it dude yeah that, that's what so i never got into crossfit and i'm, I'm not gonna sit here and bash crossfit because the thing that crossfit has done better than any anything other else. anything else is the community yep they i mean they sell the community yeah I mean, it's it's brilliant yeah it's and, and it and it's and it's right like that 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 is what you want it goes back to the blitzkrieg in, in london right you you struggle together. Mm-hmm. If you struggle as a community, as a tribe, you will grow as a community and tribe. And now you have accountability. You have all these things to where you don't want to. You become that team. You don't want to let that team down. So you know what that means? You show up to the next workout. Mm-hmm. Consistency over intensity. That is the secret to life, right there. Yeah. I don't care if it's working out, if it's your marriage, if it's your job. Consistency over intensity. I would much rather have the person who shows up and works out every single day yeah. than the person who shows up every now and then and busts their ass. Because that person's going to burn himself out, right? Oh, yeah. It's the same reason why I left the military, right? When I'd be gone for all this time, I'd come home and we would plan this big extravagant trip for our family and we'd try to go do these things to make up for all that lost time. Ooh. And sure, they liked it, but you know what they like more? Consistency. Me being yeah. home. Them seeing, them seeing daddy walk through the door. Dude, that's a hard one. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, that's a defining moment, huh? Yeah, that was. Oof. That would be a big defining moment. Yeah, because and and that's what I know. Well, shit, we're gonna stay on here another hour if we don't watch it. But I mean, that really is where you start to really understand leadership because leadership is sacrificial. Yeah. It's not. It's not. You know, getting to that point where you can be a leader is where you get to be selfish. But once you realize that you're in the leadership role, it becomes sacrificial. 100%. And then you got to start to look at, you know, I can still be what I'm going to be, but I, my my main goal and my main job is here and at this point. Yeah. And that's where I'm at too. I'm the, on the show on horses. Like, I love to show horses. God, what do I want to go on the road and just, you know, hammer it? But that's a selfish deal. It is. Like, what do I need to do? God, I need to be at every football practice and every, you know, volleyball game and, you know. It's, and, it goes back to what you said, though. Like, I love what I accomplished, and, and that's really cool, and I think it's cool, but I find it more rewarding it is. With, with the others. Like, when I see, when I see that um, when I see that kid who's one of the weaker kids hit his PR and, like, that grin from ear to ear, because one of the things I want to do in our weight room, I want to put a bell in there. And anytime you yeah. hit a PR, you Ooh, go over and you good. bring that bell in. Yeah. When you hear that bell that's ring, everyone idea. stops the door and there's a Yeah. Because I don't care who you are. That's everyone's, team. That's team, right? Everyone's going to... I don't care if your PR is, you know, the bar. If you right. just lifted the bar for the first time, you've been having to do like 15 pound dumbbells and you just lifted the bar. Guess what? You earned the right to go ring that bell and everyone in that weight room is going to stop what they're doing and they're going to cheer you and you are the winner for the day. Yeah. Tell me if that kid come back and quits. Heck yeah. No, exactly. He's in now. He's in. He's bought in. He's part yeah. of the group, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's, and that doesn't turn out a shooter. It doesn't turn out 
a person that doesn't know community. It doesn't know value of life. Value is what I was going to say. Value. They have value in themselves and the team values them, right? That, that kid nine times out of 10, if he didn't go ring that bell and let everyone know it would have just been a a kid lifted a bar. Like, no, it would have been bypassed right or wrong. Like even if, even if the other ones would have congratulated them, had they known, they didn't know, but now they know. And he becomes, he becomes the spotlight. And not only that, but you're, you know, and that's one thing for this, for the small guy that's, you know, needs to be recognized and whatever else, but the, the one, one of the, really big parts of that too is that it's also the big you know lineman heavy kid that's lifting all and he's the right he he has the gym record and whatever else it teaches him to inspire the others it teaches him the responsibility that he has to lead the others from that position you're like you're also teaching him how to not negate the others and see the struggle in them right we, we've actually That's what good. you just said there we've been talking a lot about at the school and about how to get those those the the, the studs essentially how to get them to be better leaders for the younger generation oh right? that's good and, and and that's exactly one of the things that we've been talking about is teaching them letting them understand the uh, the responsibility that they have you know I, I was actually talking to the head football coach the other day or no I was talking to our, our headmaster and you know I was saying that if you when I was a kid, you know, in grammar school, if you would have taken our high school starting running back and set him next to Emmett Smith, I would have probably been more fascinated with our high school running back because that's the name I really knew at the time. Right. At that young age, he was the superstar. I wouldn't have known the difference. That he's just he's the name I heard every week over the loudspeaker. I was amazed by him. You know, mm-hmm. what he did, that that was a role model for me. Like that's power. That you're shaping young kids' lives and they don't they don't realize that, but they need to realize it. Yeah. And 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 with that position comes responsibility exactly. and you're teaching him how to handle that and how to because what you're doing with him is you're pre- preventing him from being the washed up loser after college and that can't you know and, and sits and you know is the you know heavy drinker that's you know remembering his high school football days yeah. and stuff like don't you don't want to create that either i mean like that that kid needs to expand upon his value and see where he is beyond that too yeah yeah you're feeding both ends yeah it's it's, it's great yeah Jeez. It's cool. I've, I got like another like three stories right here. I'm like, ah, should I say them? Should I not say them? Write them down. <laughs> like, we'll come back and we'll do some more for sure. That's cool. Uh, we, maybe we should make like a segment to this and we just have like once a month to come in here and just do a, a short story recap, you know, do something. Because I think that, I think this is, I think this is stuff that's really, it, it, it really is impactful. Yeah. And it's impactful enough. So, I've also, I've sat back on this. I haven't, I have, this is my first, um, this is my first recorded podcast that I've done in two months. Okay. I laid off. I've been doing it for about a year and a half and I have really liked doing the the podcast and stuff. And we got off on vacation and we did some other stuff and, and you know, you hit parts where you're, you know, you go like, am I really making a difference? It's people like, I, you know, I'm trying to follow like how many, how many, you know, subscribers it has and how many downloads and whatever else. And I just kind of like, you know, I kind of almost, I don't know, I could burn myself out, but just kind of like, like, is it really making effect in doing anything? <clears throat> and I sat back and, um, this last month has been pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, I haven't touched this thing and I'm still getting 40 downloads a day and stuff. It's awesome. And that's crazy. And I get people that are coming and and saying that you know what that it's that 
they get something from it. And then I'm going like, well, so the whole adage of if it just makes a difference with one, if it just reaches one, and why do I do some of these? Like, I want my kids to know these things, right? And so, so like kind of stupid that I've kind of taken a little bit of, well, it's not stupid that I took a break, but it's also, it's, 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 this has been a great one because this is really kind of fired back up for a little bit of purpose back into it. I need that too. Yeah. Right. And, um, and, uh, you know, remember why we're, why we're doing that, why we, why we got the opportunity to have the responsibilities we have, yeah. you know, and, uh, just keep on doing it. Yeah. There you go. Right. It's like the story of the, the dad who, you know, on his deathbed thought, basically the guy who who thought that he didn't have significance, but then, you know, his grandson ended up like doing something Nobel prize worthy. Right. And it was because of what he poured into his son, who his son then poured into the grandson, the grandson ended up doing the great things. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, who knows, man, it, it might be multiple levels down that you've touched someone. And, and, and that's, that's the benefit that comes from this. You're, you're the, you're the guide. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's something that even from a father's, you know, from a father of, standpoint of a, of a dad. Right. And, and I, I know that my dad poured a lot into me. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, I think one of the things that, uh, I, I look at that and go, you know, so my kids and what, what, what is my real purpose in doing what I'm doing with them and changing. So some of my kids didn't come from the best places. Right. And so, um, I, it's really to make that generational impact, right? I mean, what is the purpose? And that is, I think, in different communities and different socioeconomic groups and what do we want to do and how are we doing it? When you go to, when you go to spread the word and you go to deliver the good news, mm -hmm. you're making generational impact. Absolutely. Right? And I think that's like, and, and, and in this and all of this, it's it's all parts of the good news it yeah. all points to you know uh, revealing what what is right and what is true right mm -hmm. um and 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 those things are undeniable and we have to do it with the thought of making it a generational impact because even if with the kids and and not the parents are you doing it with the parent do you make a change in the parent or the the father that's doing it do you make that difference you know you don't have to make the difference in him you just have to be able to show and be a witness to the young man of what it's what a good man does and how he how he does pour into another man and for the purpose of reaching another kid yeah right i mean it's not just it's not just the one guy right it is a, it truly is a generational impact yeah and and I think then that's what we're that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So it's, I keep saying that, but it's beautiful. Like I like I, I we we talk a lot about uh, where I go to church. You know, you know, God's gonna put a burden on your heart, and, and this is the burden that's been put on my heart. Yeah, and, uh, and I and I feel I feel responsible, and um, you know, kind of going back to how I ended up where I was. You know, working at the the special warfare center, working with those those guys, like it was phenomenal. It was basically, you know, working with the next generation. Um, but what I realized was like those guys, they had the courage to come here. They, they're going to be okay. You know? And that's, yeah. that's why I've really liked this shift to the high school. Cause like, that's where I feel like it's needed. Like, you know, I, it's needed there. Like I want to be that male role model and I'm going to continue doing that. And then, you know, like I said, kind of like working with the fathers now and then helping them. Like I just, that's the burden that's on my heart. And, mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and I think when you're passionate about that, when you're passionate and you do the thing, you follow 
Like that's the door that God opens and you go, you walk through that door. There's no way you can't be successful. No, it's contagious. It's contagious. It is. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you see that inspiration, you see that driving, you said like, yeah, you can sit back and be the tough guy in the back of the room, you know, that, you know, the tatted beard guy is <laughs> standing in the back of the room that, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm the, you know, the old cowboy that sits in the back of the yeah, room with exactly. the cowboy hat, you know, you know, you can be that guy, but, um, but that's not the impact. Yeah, right? but what are you sharing? What, what, all those experiences, if you're going to sit back and you're going to, you're going to just hold them inside and mm -hmm. not share them, what good are they for? Yeah. What good is it? To what end? Yeah. Yeah. To what end? And you find purpose in what you're doing again, 100%. right? That was, that was a big fear of leaving the military because you talk about the identity thing. No. Like that's absolutely how I identified myself. And I justified it by saying, you know, hey, no, I'm going to do all these things because my kids are going to be proud of me. They're going to know, dude, their dad was an operator. Yeah. They're going to be super proud of me. It's like, dude, that's a joke. That's what I use as an excuse. <laughs> like, you know what's funny? So talking about the old cowboy, so I was telling my brother, uh, you know, he's, he's a cattle trailer. He, he literally like that. He cowboys. That's what he is. Yeah. My, my son thinks he's way cooler than I am. Like he went, he went to my, he's just a dusty old cowboy. <laughs> yeah. I was an operator. He went to the sale barn with my, uh, with my brother and my nephew uh, a couple months ago. And like, he still talks about like, in fact, just the other day he was talking about, I guess they were loading bulls or something like that. And a bull like charged the, the fence or something. And, and uh, he, he's, wow, he stood strong. He didn't, he didn't move. Like we probably should have moved. <laughs> you know, he stood and he didn't flinch or something like that. And like, he's so you don't know, he's just slow, son. Yeah. <laughs> That's my brother. Yeah. He's just slow. It's yeah. not that he was brave. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, it's, it's funny. Like they, they don't care about that. I mean, they, no, they, they don't, but yeah. Opportunities, man. Opportunities to impact. That's awesome. No. And, and, and you were lucky to have gotten to do and be in the places that we've been and it does give you confidence right and and it is infectious and and there's your opportunity that you can instill that confidence in somebody else by giving them you know a, an understanding and the opportunity for their own rite of passage too right that it is accomplishing it's something they can accomplish and, and it's obtainable yeah right it, for whatever that is it doesn't even have to be that you know what's obtainable is you know your goals not that you that that like because we just don't know what exactly it's going to hold in 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 place for us. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that, that you you've said like four words. It's like more rabbits, but I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you gotta stop, dude. You're gonna you're gonna make me get me in trouble. <laughs> um. All right. Well, man. Um. Yeah, we're gonna have to have you back on. Dude, we're I, gonna I, do some I, more of these. I definitely want to do. This. Yeah, like, this I want to. I want to explore a little bit more about the sports psychology and what you're learning. And I, you know, with because I know, I, I, so somebody that has the practical experience mm -hmm. and then now has the schooling and the book experience, yeah. right? I want to be able to. I I want to be able to understand that better too yeah. and apply that. And, and 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 you know, there's a lot of us. There's a lot of guys that have gone through the stuff that you've gone through, that have gone this stuff that and, and had success in different realms also. And I think it's important for them to find that there's real purpose outside of that too. I think there's a lot of guys that could use that too yeah. on the other end of being fathers and, and understanding. I think that's one of the things that I think is lending me with the horses yeah. is that, you know, understanding my process and training and stuff can really lend a lot to other guys too. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm excited. Like, you know, I'm, I'm in the beginning stages, so I'm, I'm in my second semester of this program, so I'm still learning. But uh, the one of the things I'm doing this fall, so starting here in August, is I'll be working with the baseball team at the university where I'm going. So it's kind of like a graduate assistant, essentially like helping put on some of those the sports psychology like mentor type sessions. Oh, that'd so be cool. I don't even know what that's going to look like, but I'm super stoked to see how it's gonna how it's gonna work out. Yeah. Um, so I definitely would love to come back on and talk some more of this. Stuff yeah, definitely. It's fascinating me. 
Definitely. Well, I've maybe even have you guest on with your other buddy and then yeah. any of like, it's just a, you know, oh, dial dude, into some yeah. of that stuff. You, you won't call me back if he comes on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, there's just so many different things that it all, it all lends to. And yeah. uh, it'd probably be helpful if I had somebody book smart in here. <laughs> I mean, my, my simpleton way of doing things. Very, very few times have I ever been called book smart, but I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, dude. Thanks a lot. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. It's been awesome. But hey, so before we quit, name of your oh yeah, name of your like where do you contact you? What do yeah, you yeah. Getting? So uh, Forged Human Performance. Um, so the website gets launched on Friday. So I guess by the time this gets put out there, it'll be out there. But www.forgedhp.com. Um, yeah. So essentially, we're like I said, we we do everything from strength conditioning to nutrition to uh, mental resiliency, mental toughness training. And, and we use, we use the physical fitness Avenue for all that. But, you know, the idea is that we're just trying to build stronger, confident humans. And uh, we do some tactical stuff too. So I do, I, I still am a shooting instructor and, and do some medical training, you know, cause I feel like it all ties into just helps build your confidence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, that's, that's the goal. We're, we're looking, I'm really excited to see where it's going to take me. You know, I'm, I'm really, I have, I have a vision, but I'm also not going to be so, so focus that i don't see other opportunities yeah um, so but yeah i'm stoked so yeah forge.com forge.com excuse me yeah forgehp.com and then i think i think our instagram is forgedhp as well so i'll give i'll give you all that and if you got like, yeah death or something we'll yeah. link it all up cool man i appreciate cool. it thanks matt yeah dude you bet you've been listening to the go time podcast with todd martin if you'd like to know more about the go time podcast todd martin or todd martin performance horses you can visit us at toddmartin.net, N-E-T. Um, we're going to be putting up some merchandise on there, too, for the podcast. And also, please, if you got the time and you like it, share with a friend. Give us a like and a review. I guess all that stuff kind of really helps and helps us get it out there to more people to be able to enjoy the podcast. So until next time, go time.